Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away, back, goal. Go, hey. It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to A's Cast Live as we've got baseball going all day long, but we need to talk about other things than just some of these games that are going for absolutely ever as we are embarking a few minutes away from three hours of baseball, the 2-2 game in the eighth inning as... We are 2-2 in the Bronx as, unfortunately, you know, it is what it is. Weather is going to play a role in how this thing goes the rest of the way. Do you know what uh, You know what, the, what they have uh, on the books right now for Game 7 of the World Series? Yeah, it's what, November 5th? November 5th. It's a few days after my 34th birthday. Like... What's the weather going to be like? We got two teams going right now. I don't know what the weather's going to be like in New York or Cleveland. We already had a rain a rain postponement. What if Philly? I mean, Philly, New York weather is obviously very similar. But, I mean, you got teams that are playing on the East Coast. I mean, I think you're going to be good. Uh, you'll be good in L.A. or San Diego in that time. But, man, and if these games, if we have any more bad weather – you know, you keep pushing this back. I mean, because right now, these two teams, uh, I have it in the notes here. Cleveland, by the way, Cleveland had 12 postponements during the regular season this year, more, four more than anybody else. And they're looking at potentially playing a, a ton of games in a row. If the series goes the distance, whichever club advances could wind up playing 11 games in 13 days, which I'm fine with because that's more what baseball is. I like that. 
But when you're used to having all these days off and being able to set all these schedules, uh, it changes some. It changes some things, no question about it. We got a great show for you today. Bill Moriarty is going to join us from the A's Farm Report. Yes, we're going to talk about Arizona Fall League. We're going to talk. What he had his. Uh, I don't want to call it an all-star no, team, no. but he had his all postseason uh, all-prospect team. All right, so we're going to delve into the to the A's and their top prospects. Scott Miller, longtime national baseball columnist and now does some TV and radio down in San Diego. As I can already tell you, having some boots on the ground, it's jumping already. The gas lamp, the gas lamp is that area in downtown San Diego, which you'd like, you know, when we think about Howard Terminal and what Howard Terminal could become, when you talk about restaurants, bars, it'll never be that big because it's basically a huge part of downtown San Diego. But we want something like that in Oakland, Howard Terminal. I mean, there are so many restaurants, like top restaurants. I once counted, I don't know what's happened since COVID, what restaurants have survived and have not in San Diego. But uh, obviously, I grew up there, but, you know, we never hung out downtown. Last time I was hanging out downtown was with you at the winter <laughs> meetings in 2019. But for literally, in a five-minute walk radius, you got like six steakhouses. You've got top seafood. You've got clubs, restaurants, everything. I mean, that's what we want to have, something like that. And it's going to be jumping down there. That game starts at what time? That's the late game. Yeah, 5.37 our time. Who would have ever thought, and this has to do with weather, who would have ever thought that the Yankees would be the first playoff game of the day? That never happened. They're always prime. Prime time is L.A., San Diego, not the New York Yankees. Obviously, the I mean, the Yankees should have had an off day today. Yeah, now they're playing tomorrow, too. They're playing three straight days. and Who's on the mound right now? Uh, who is that? James Karinschak. Oh, I love him. He's one of their best guys. He's uh, His reactions on the mound, everything. I remember last year he did the uh, the Wild Thing Rick Vaughn haircut. So he kind of – and he wears number 99 already, and he's kind of erratic like him. Uh, he's He might be their best reliever besides Emmanuel Classe, who is their closer. So we're getting our words at the top, bottom of the eighth. There's a guy on one out, 2-2 two, two game. Uh, Josh Donaldson up the bat. J.D. God, he only hit 222 this year. Jesus. OPS is on 682. That's not good either. I mean, he was horrible and couldn't stay healthy. Teddy Ballgame, Ted Leitner, the longtime voice of the San Diego Padres, now retired. You have him here as a team ambassador. That, that's his official role, team ambassador. Friend of Billy Bean, by the way, will be here at 2.30. Eno Saris for the Eno Saris Show at 3 o'clock. And then my old head coach, Sam Perraro at San Jose State, we call him the Hall of Famer because he's in, like, four Hall of Fames. But uh, he now is getting inducted into the San Jose Sports Hall of Fame. I don't know what the official title is of that Hall of Fame. we got to get it before Coach comes on. But that's a big deal, right? If you go into the city's Sports Hall of Fame, that's where, like, Olympians, great NFL, NBA, whatever you, whatever you played in, college, you go. Christy Yamaguchi's in it, right? The San Jose Hall of Fame or the Oakland Hall of Fame or the San Francisco Hall of Fame or wherever. I mean, you could be in the Livermore Hall of Fame. You could be in whatever. Um, it's a big deal. When you go into your city's Hall of Fame, and obviously San Jose is the 10th largest city in the country. We both live in San Jose. Um, it's the, uh, you know, obviously by far the largest city in the Bay Area. 
and the growth of what it's become since I moved here and playing for coach. I'm so happy for him. And the man changed my life. You might say, I don't know for the better or the worse, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be sitting here next to Cody doing this if it wasn't for him. So is the rally monkey in your way? Yeah, that's why I, that's why I moved him a little bit. Put him. I'm sure my wife won't mind if we're messing with her rally monkey. That's why he's here. Yeah, you got to have the rally monkey. Who else has that? I mean, this is old. The rally monkey actually is really old. He, what did he debut in 01, 2000, was, something like that? They didn't, it wasn't the first year they did the uh, – I don't. I think he's before 02, before the World Series. But do not quote me on that. I'm not great on my rally monkey knowledge. All right, so we got Bill Moriarty at 130, Scott Miller at 2, Teddy Ballgame, Ted Leitner at 230, Eno Saris at 3, and Sam Perraro at 330. That's what, and we'll keep you updated on everything going on with these games. Um, just to kind of get, get you updated on what happens, like with these games and why they matter so much and why certain teams' percentages just aren't with you if you lose. For example, the winner of game three in a best of five series when it's tied at 1-1. So I got one and you got one. All right. Winner of game three goes on to win 71.9% of the time. That's like that number you had. What was it? Winner of game one goes on to win 71% of the time. So now you're... it gets worse, by the way, if you're down 2 0, which that, if Cleveland loses today, they're down 2 0. 87 times going into this series. And this is also now with the Mariners, by the way, who lost again. Have you been thinking about my, my Michael Myers analogy for the uh, Houston Astros versus the Seattle Mariners? They That game, Jordan Alvarez is on a whole other planet. But, yeah, your, your analogy is right. And there was something on MLB Network last night. Let me see if I have the – doesn't matter what happens. The Astros are going to beat him. It's, it's, he's Michael – they're Halloween. It's Michael Myers. You can run him over. You can stab him. You can shoot him. You can – all the different ways. They, how, many, how many Halloween movies have uh, the, there been? The newest one's out today. Halloween, Halloween ends. Halloween, yeah. What, yeah which until was next like year. number 15. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is back. God, how yeah. old is she? Yeah, she's up there in age for sure. The Astros are 32 and 7 in their last 39 home games versus Seattle. They've held Seattle to two runs or less in 25 of those 39 games. So <laughs> you, you go down two zip in a best of five series since, uh, and there's been 87 prior to this. It's just 11.5%. Just seven, just, excuse me, just 10 teams have come back from 2-0. So that's why watching Cleveland right now, it's, uh, and and just, I, I, I've, I got to be on the record. I've said it. I like what baseball's doing with all of these games. It gives you a March Madness feel. Not everybody can watch every single game. You can't watch every single game in the tournament. So you basically saturate the market with games. You got games everywhere. Then at night, you got highlight shows. So it's baseball, baseball, baseball. If I go to ESPN, NLE Network, wherever I go, there's baseball. But having to track games on TBS, FS1, I mean, it's just like like hearing Bob Costas today do a promo for some show about hot rods and wheels and fancy cars like this is Bob Costas he's a baseball hall of famer Bob Costas 
is, from a television standpoint, could be the greatest broadcaster of all time. In front of the program. Like, I'm not saying play-by-play, because that's going to be Vince Scully, right? Just as a broadcaster, especially from in the television era, Bob Costas, with all of his work, Olympics, baseball, NBA, just watching The Last Dance, it's all on NBC, it's all Bob Costas. Like the old Jordan era is Bob Costas. I Bob Costas is, is the king of television. Like, the first time I sat down, I don't remember which Olympics it was, where I sat down, I didn't realize, I hadn't been reading about the coverage, and the opening game start, and it was Mike Tirico and not Bob Costas. I'm like, something wrong with Bob, something wrong with Bob Costas? I didn't realize Costas had stepped down from being the main. I mean, that was you can't give me the Olympics and no Bob Costas. Bob Costas is the Olympics. I think that was within the last five years that Costas stepped down because it's the same thing with if, you're, if you didn't know about Sunday Night Football, you wouldn't know that Al Michaels isn't calling the games anymore. It's, uh, it's Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth because now Al Michaels is calling games on Thursday Night Football. Al Michaels is great. He's not Bob Costas. No. Bob Costas, is, and to hear Bob Costas do the – promo for some show about <laughs> sports cars and hot rods and stuff. I'm just like, oh, my. It's going to be on TBS. And I'm like, who it's, watches? TBS when I was growing up was like Gilligan's Island. And the Braves. The Munsters. For me, it, it was the Braves. Yeah, but we're talking TBS was about all the old show. You know, what Nick at Night is now, that was TBS. It showed all the, the Brady Bunch. That was, and now TBS tries to do a bunch of crazy shows where everybody's getting killed and all kinds of stuff. But to think that's where our baseball is, it's uh, unbelievable. Here's something that is an observation that is just flat out real: that postseason baseball, and you may love it, you may not, but postseason baseball is dominated by unknown players. It's just. It is what it is. It's dominated by random relievers. And I was talking to Cody before the show came on because I, I, you know, we taped Dino Saris earlier today because he's going down to cover Dodgers Padres, which is, would you say the, I mean, it's hard to say it's not Yankees Indians, but would you say the hottest series is Padres Dodgers? Oh, for sure. Well, it's only one. Well, yeah, it's only one. It's one one. Oh, Philly, sorry, Phillies Braves are one one. But 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 there's something about it though. Yeah, for yeah, because everyone wants to make that the next big rivalry in baseball because of the proximity and all that, and the Padres with Machado and well, when they had Tatis and now Soto and with the Dodgers and all their stars. I, yeah, for sure, I think that's the the best series going right now, and we're seeing it. That game the other night was, I guess, nail biting. If you're a fan of both of those teams or one of those yeah. teams. I mean, for everything went down, Kershaw and Ryu, uh, you Darvish only go, what, Kershaw went five and got pulled, Darvish went five, five plus, but he didn't make it out, didn't even get it out in the sixth inning. It was a bullpen game. Um, it was a big win for San Diego. And now you're going to have your first playoff game at Petco Park since 2006. The last guy, I looked at the stats, the last time the Padres won a game at home at uh, Petco Park uh, was, was game three against the Cardinals. Dave Roberts was on that team. Dave Roberts led that series in hits, yeah, didn't he? He was three for three in that game. Where's, Jeff Blum had an RBI. Where's Ryan Klesko? Klesko wasn't on the team. Either. Phil Nevin. Nevin wasn't on there either. Brian Giles. Giles was on the team. Who was uh, on that team? Uh, let me, I think I, I have. The 06 Padres? 
Um, Sean Burroughs on that team? Khalil Green would have been their shortstop? All right, uh, let's see. This is uh, we'll, let's just go to let's go to game three, the game they won. Uh, Chris Young, Rangers general manager, was the winning pitcher. Former forward for the Princeton Tigers in the tournament. There's our Rangers news we can get to too. They interviewed him. They spoke with someone about their managerial position. That's not news. No, it's Bruce Bochy. That's not. Uh, let's see. Now that actually, I will give you that yeah. is Dave Roberts let off. He went three for three. Todd Walker was their second base. He went him. zero for five. Brian Giles was zero for four. Mike Piazza was their catcher. He's A's, A's great, Mike Piazza. This is before Piazza comes to the A's. Uh, Adrian Gonzalez at the height of his powers. Right, he was a in big there. Deal. Mike Cameron. Yeah. Russell Brannion. Terrible. Khalil Green. He was there. He, didn't he win Rookie of the Year there? Uh, Jeff Blum, our friend. Blummer. Um, Chris Young, and then they had a pinch hitter, Rob Bowen. So that's who pitched. That's who the game was. The RBIs in that game by the Padres where Russell Brannion had two ooh, and Blummer had one. Look at the shortstop for the Cardinals. Yeah, the MVP of the World Series that year. David Eckstein. Look at Albert Poole. Look at this team. Chris Duncan, son of who? Dave Duncan. Who was? The ace pitching coach. You got Poolholes, Edmonds, Roland, Carnation Young, by the way, back then. Ron, Ronnie Belliard. Molina. Oh, Scott God. Spezio. Scott Spezio. <laughs> Supan. Go Dan. Supan. Uh, Aaron Miles, that's the uh, that's a Rockies legend. Oh, I'm pretty sure Dave Duncan was the uh, still was the Cardinals pitching coach then. That's, that's the Tony. last time the Padres won a playoff game where these guys were playing. Yeah, uh, who pitched out of the bullpen? Uh, Trevor Hoffman got the save. Yeah, heard of him. Chris Young, Alan Scott Embry. Linebrink, <laughs> who by the way I called his first ever game. Oh wow, he was a giant. giant. I was doing the San Jose Giants. Scott Linebrink. I did the play-by-play for his first ever outing of his career for the San Jose Giants. Here comes Tito to make a change. Oh, here comes man. here comes uh, who's who's up the bat. I, I don't know who's up the bat. This game started at ten oh eight. Did you see what time it is? Uh, yeah, it's twelve uh, one one seventeen. What does that mean? It's over three hours. It's a two two game, and it's well over three hours, and we're not even close to being done. Bottom of the eighth. Karen Shack's going to come out. I can't know who's on deck because I don't have the the box score up. Who's coming in? Class A or Henages? Let's see. Is it a lefty righty? They got to bring in Klaus. Uh, I don't know. They got two guys going. They're bringing in Klaus. Yeah. All right. So they bring in your close. Eno said, "Are we going to see him come out for a six-out save?" But no, he's coming in to face at least one and maybe three other guys. So he's going to have to get four outs. Yeah. So the reason why I, I and I don't want to bag on anybody or do, but like it, it's kind of like we got to really kind of think something because like if you're going into this game today, right? Indians. Guardians. Guardians. I have. Guardians, <laughs> Yankees, right? Let's say you've got to sell tickets. Like, your job is to get butts. Oh, they got that. Yeah, there's a Halloween ends promo. <laughs> Halloween. There he's back. Michael Myers. He's back. Can't kill him. He's a frying pan. Let's see. A knife. That's the Houston Astros. No matter what you do, you can run him over with a car. You can burn him. You can freeze him. Any pot drowned him any way you think you can get rid of a human being. You can't. You can't. You can't get rid of Michael Myers. That's the Houston Astros. It's it's a very fair point. How and else can you kill somebody? Uh, I, I don't, don't know if they've tried lethal injection, <laughs> but uh, for that this guy's been around. How many how many Halloween movies? But the first one came on the in the late seventies. There's got like between that and Friday the Thirteenth. There's got to be almost twenty. All right. Well, Fast and the Furious quietly climbing the uh, leaderboard in My movies. entire life, there's been Friday the 13th, and there have been Halloween. I'm 50. My entire life, they've been around. 
All right, let's see. Let's go to the Halloween franchise. First one it's came out. It's a franchise. It's like James Bond, but different. First one came out in 1978. 78. A lot of you probably going to be watching this today and listening. Oh, look, look at weren't these. weren't even born. Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween 3, Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. For Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Halloween H2O, that had Josh, um, Josh Hartnett in. H2O, does water have something <laughs> to do with it? <laughs> That's supposed to be 20, yeah, 20 years later. Halloween Resurrection, Halloween, Halloween 1, Halloween, Halloween Kills, Halloween Ends. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 13, including this one. That's not as many as I thought because Friday the 13th, there's over 15. But maybe Jason is a bigger draw than. Let's look at this one. I got to think there's more. Cause they I'm, keep re- I'm saying he's more. He's got to be more. And that they're calling that a franchise. Yeah, well, because they keep remaking Halloween, so they're remaking Jason. All right, let's see. 1980 oh, he's was got f- way more. There was the first one was 1980. So let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. There's 12. Halloween beats it. Halloween, the newest one, now takes takes the lead in the leaderboard. My apologize, Michael Myers, as you still are king. <laughs> Freddy Krueger, that franchise never. Nightmare on Elm Street. Didn't have the legs. Didn't have the legs. But, yeah, that's, that's, that's the Astros to the Seattle Mariners right there. Michael Myers can't kill him. No way Jamie Lee Curtis gets rid of him again. They will make I, – I have – how old is Jamie Lee? Uh, okay. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis was like a she was like probably a hot, late a hot thing when I was a kid. She's sixty three. That's I, it. I would have thought she was old. Uh, me too. I mean, well, in nineteen eight in nineteen seventy eight, she would have been twenty. She was twenty years old when that movie came out. Good for her. Go get him, Jamie. I'm just saying, this isn't it. You may say it's it. It's not it. We always replace James Bond. It never ends. The franchises. Never in. All right, we are bases loaded, two outs in the ninth inning. Uh, I got a stat for you, by the way, that it's kind of a stat that, I don't know, should we just follow this more often? It's something that we talk about in the postgame show all the time. Oh, Oh, we're lying out to third. Lying out to third, and the Guardians are out. My Guardian, I've never rooted for – I, I love me some Guardians. I've picked them. They're like my baby. I've watched, I've nurtured them to this point when everybody gave them no chance. If you have any idea what we're talking about, we got to pick team. We Once the A's were out of it, which was early, we said, <laughs> we're going to take two teams, right? You get a team in the National League, a team in the American League. National League, I went Phillies, still in it, and then I went Guardians in the uh, American League. So those are my squads, Philly and um, Philly and Cleveland, and I'm rooting for the Padres. Grew up there, but I'm really rooting for Bob Melvin yeah. and to see Bo Mel get the victory. But what I want to bring up is this is kind of like, I don't know if you want to call it an issue. I thought about this today when I was doing it with a, uh, our interview with Eno, who you'll see in a little bit. And then uh, once we got done and Cody came over and it triggered it, like I'm sitting there, I'm like, if you need to sell, like you had to sell Guardians and Yankees today. Like what are your top three things that you're selling? Like you need to fill that ballpark. It's your job. You work on commissions. So how much money is made is going to depict on how well you do financially. Like what What are you selling? 
What's the top things that you're selling that I need you to come to the ballpark and give me your money? Uh. Can Aaron Judge continue his his historic Aaron season? Aaron Judge is going to be one. He's over four or four strikeouts today. All, right. all time, every time he's done in the postseason when he gets the Guardians, um, you had you had a pretty good pitching matchup on paper: Bieber versus Nestor Cortez. Already, I, I, I've won already. I've won it already. I thought you'd maybe go three or four with that. I've won already. You, it's like you want to. I don't even know how to explain it. It's like insanity. We all know what it's supposed to be, but we've now all accepted that that's not how it goes anymore. I just asked him, give me your top three selling points to selling this game and your finances depend on it. What, what was the second thing you wanted to sell? Bieber versus Cortez. The pitching matchup, which this is coming from the same guy that says wins don't matter, starters, eh, bullpens are great. When we want to sell the game, we'll go back to what works, right? Star players, pitching matchup. But then, and I don't don't want to pick on you, but you're talking (laughs) about both sides of your mouth because you say wins don't matter, starters don't matter, guys are out early, here comes the bullpen. And then I'd go to him this. How many fantasy baseball teams do you have? Uh, Just one. How many fantasy football teams do you have? Uh, Unfortunately, I'm in three this year. Usually I do one. Case in point here. Fantasy hockey. All you do in fantasy sports is is pick the best players. You don't say, I want rando guy who's a 31-year-old rookie who has traveled from Venezuela to Mexico to Japan and has now signed in December and he's now starring in the postseason. Do you have anybody on any of your fantasy teams? Because in football, there's a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different ways you can get into the NFL. Hockey, there's a ton of different ways you can get in the NHL. Do you have anybody that has a track record of like Venezuela to Mexico to Japan to the big leagues? Uh, my team stunk this year. Um, the answer is no. No. Uh, okay. This is my point. We want to sell. Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge a star? I think so. Pitching matchup. Two really good pitchers. They're star guys. They're recognizable. And really what happens in playoff baseball now, you've got a bunch of random-ass guys who are pitching the most important innings where you should be having your highest ratings. That's where our game has become. This Suarez guy, Robert Suarez, from the Padres, who a lot of, you're going to hear a lot about tonight, traveled from Venezuela to Mexico to Japan. He's 31 years old. And you're like, that's a great story. Well, you know what that story doesn't do? Doesn't get ratings. Because you know what you want, the United States of America? Do you know what you want? You want LeBron James, Steph Curry. You want Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. You want stars. We're built. Our league is built on stars. What happened to golf? Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson got old. But that's what we wanted to see, Tiger Phil. We want to see the stars. Nadal, Federer, and tennis, they've gotten old. But when they played, we wanted to see the stars. Stars generate. In fantasy football, I recently, on Monday Night Football, Chiefs Raiders. 
I sat in Rookie Sports Bar down here in the South Bay with my friends watching it, and it's so annoying listening to every every table. Everybody has to mention their fantasy teams. People are addicted to their fantasy teams. But what's on the fantasy teams? The star players. You don't have random-ass fifth-string wide receivers. You don't have nobody running backs that are only playing if guys get hurt. Pitching change, by the way. You're not – is Holmes coming in? Here comes Clay Holmes. You're not taking the backup guard on the offensive line. Oh, God, if you imagine if you drafted linemen. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah, yeah, I got this guy from Georgia Tech who is the third-string defensive tackle. Is that who you drafted, Fancy? No. No, you draft the stars. Stars generate what matters in professional sports. Whatever sport you want to go to, what sells the stars? What have front offices done to our game? Um, bullpens or, so, or what win the games? You're going to listen to Eno Saris coming up here. All the guys coming in here, you don't even know who the hell they are. And why would you care? Why would I care that you're bringing in a bunch of guys who a couple months ago were def- DFA'd. Lou Trevino pitched in this game today. Nice mustache, by the way. Great. Looks great, by the way. Looks a lot younger. Lou Trevino. Can you imagine the, you know, we know Lou Trevino because he was an A. Can you imagine people people around the country going, who's this guy? Who are these random? These are the key moments. You like to call them leverage situations. High leverage. Oh, yeah. Could be- High leverage. It could be, I don't know. Is it really medium? I just watched I just watched The Last Dance. I'm the last guy to watch The Last Dance. And they're going through all the different playoff runs, all the high-leverage situations. Let's just take 97-98 finals. Jazz, great team, right? Hall of Famers. Yeah, Stockton, Malone, Ostertag. Right. Uh, J- uh, Hornacek. Hornacek. They got great players. And you got the Chicago Bulls. You got Michael, you got Scotty, you got D-Rod. You got Hall of Famers in this game. Who's playing in crunch time? Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, Malone, Stockton. No, 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 no. It has to be a bunch of guys from the, from the, from the, from what do we call it now? The D-League, the G-League. G-League, G-League. Gatorade League. Uh, it, it, it was John Starks on that Jazz team. Didn't John Starks play for the Jazz? Do not know. Now that... Starks is in the last dance, obviously, as a Nick. Former Golden State Warrior great John Starks. He, no, he he came to the Jazz oh, in 2000. Way, way, way. Yeah. I knew, I knew he was a part of the Jazz. I couldn't remember when. Yeah, he's playing He's playing against Michael as a wizard, not as a, uh, as a bull. <laughs> That's the funny thing about that whole thing, watching the last dance. I, I'll never play for another coach. And the whole time I'm laughing, going, oh, you're going to play for the Washington Wizards. As the, wasn't he owning the team, too, or whatever? He got he a percentage, I think. Now he owns the Hornets, and, well, they're still trying to figure it out. Hey, by the, oh, I'll, I'll get into this later. But um, you, you, it's the stars. It's the stars. And that, I don't know how, I don't know what you do. But having Bieber, a well-recognized name in, in our sport, Cy Young Award winner, Nasty Nestor, who we now all know, having those guys pitching in the seventh, in the eighth inning, you now still have the second thing you wanted to market for tickets. Right? 
you said Aaron Judge. Going to see Aaron Judge right now, biggest star in our game, hands down. There's nobody. It's because he plays in New York. I get Otani. I get Trout. But right now, because he plays in New York, folks, there's more people who live on the eastern seaboard than the west. That's just it, the, the numbers are what they are, and the Yankees own the entire east eastern seaboard. Right? It's, yeah. it, it just is what it is. And the second thing that you wanted to sell. Bieber versus Nasty Nestor. They're not even a part of the equation yeah. when the game matters. Uh, Nestor, five innings. Biebs, Shane Bieber, five and two-thirds. Do you, now, do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, it's – it's not going to be we, – we, we were excited for Kershaw versus Darvish. And Kershaw went five. It's 79 pitches. It's and Dar- Darvish went five-plus, but he did throw almost 100 pitches. So, okay. But Kershaw, after five, after five innings and 79 pitches, a future Hall of Famer, you're, you're pulling him already? It's, it's, get to, I get your bullpen's good. I mean, Evan Phillips has been great. These guys in their bullpen have been good. But Blake Trinan served up a home run in that game. It, it, it'd be like if I go to A's Farm, that's athleticsfarm.com, and all the articles on there and everything on there are just, you know, they're like half written. And anytime everything's just he he only does like half the article and it's just gone. He only shows up for half the article. I'm not going to A's Farm. Bill, I'm not going to A's Farm if you're only pitching five innings. I need you to do the entire I need you to do the job. Is there something wrong well, with that? No, no, fine. For Fortunately, you don't have to worry about that with A's farm. So that's good. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, we were used to watching pitchers pitch, you know, like real pitchers pitch full games. And uh, I mean, when I was a kid, there were guys like Mickey Lolich and Wilbur Wood who were throwing 300 uh, innings a season. Now, I mean, uh, it's rare that you even get guys getting 200 uh, innings a season. So it's a, it's a whole different game. And yeah, we've definitely lost that the appeal of that really marquee starting pitcher that, you know, is really going to dominate the game. It's just, it's just not, not the same anymore. But I'm going to take it a step further because already people are going, Oh, look at, look, look at the get off my lawn, Clint Eastwood guys. I'm going to take it a step further. What has happened is it's basically like, instead of going to home Depot, these, these teams go to arms Depot and they find a bunch of random, no name, like this Robert Suarez guy that you're going to hear a lot about tonight on the broadcast, uh, was a big deal in game two. He's 31 years old. He's playing for the Padres. Uh, Venezuela to Mexico to Japan and signed with the Padres in December. 31-year-old rookie. It's like a cute story, but I need to sell stars. Baseball What's ba- you know the the biggest moments of our game now are a bunch of guys. Well, he was def- DFA, and then he was picked up here, and this guy was this random guy in the trade. You got a bunch of no name guys factoring in the biggest moments of our playoff games. That's not that's not Steph Curry, LeBron James. That's not uh, Tom Brady up against Aaron Rodgers. This is nobody DFA picked up versus this guy traded. Who no- I mean. Star power sells in our country, and it worries me that we've got a game that's three-plus hours long. We can go pitch clock or not in the postseason, but you've got a bunch of rando guys who are the biggest factors in these games. Yeah, and, and you know, quite honestly, our, our A's are – kind of the prime example of that for the last couple decades, you know, um, they, you know, they really haven't 
hung on to stars or, um, you know, sold the team based on stars. Um, you know, they've kind of looked for those under the radar guys who are a little more low profile and, uh, quite honestly, a little cheaper, uh, too. And, um, you know, uh, again, that's just the way the game has gone. I mean, people like you and I can complain about it and remember the old days when we were kids watching the, the true stars of the game. But, um, you know, this is definitely the direction it's moved in. And I don't, I don't see it changing, you know, and unless you're, uh, the Yankees or somebody, and you're going to, you know, pay $40 million a year to hang on to Aaron judge for the rest of his career or something, you know, it's just, it's just going to be, um, a, a bit more of a technocratic game really than, than it was, uh, when we were kids. Yeah. And that's, uh, really, we're going to talk about this with Eno Saris a little bit later where we were following it last night on Twitter, where they're talking about the, the really advanced teams, They've brought in, and I've gone over this, where you can go to baseball job boards, and the jobs that are open for front offices have nothing to do with baseball. It's all about, you know, what is your data-driven background? And you now got a bunch of PhDs in there, especially like the Dodgers, that they're looking at people's anatomy, right? How you throw. When the ball comes out of your hand and it comes down, how does your ball cross home plate? And the guy you're facing, how he swings. What's his swing like, right? Is Is it more upswing launch swing is he more of a flap through the zone so so they're now matching forget just righty lefty matchups they're matching up how your game works your anatomy and how you control the baseball versus how the hitter's swing plane is that's kind of where we're this is the next generation so we'll see if that uh, intrigues people we'll see but let's get to your i love these lists it's the all prospect list this is like the all-team, right, the all-league team. Uh, where do you want to start? you want to go infield, outfield, pitchers, where you want to go? I'd say let's start with the infield because I think that's where things look most promising for the A's in the near future. Um, you know, you're referring to the article I have on uh, A's Farm right now, which looks at the 2022 postseason all-prospect team for the A's. I really wanted to look at the potential impact players for the A's at each position in the near future. And I think the infield is where things look the best. Look, just to, to go around now, quickly. Now, let's, let's be clear. You did the entire infield. You just didn't stop, like, at second base. You did no. the entire <laughs> job. We rounded the bases. Okay. We completely you rounded did, you the bases. You did the job. Just checking. You don't know these days. <laughs> So let's start. First of all, you know, we got Shay Langoliers as the catcher of the future. We got Tyler Soderstrom coming at first base. We got Zach Geloff, who will probably be here at second base by the end of next season. Okay. We got last year's first round draft pick, Mac, Max Muncy, a couple of years away at shortstop. And at third base, we've got either Kevin Smith coming back or Brett Harris, who had a tremendous season in the minor leagues this year. We can talk about any of those guys at great length if you want, but I think. That's the future infield you're looking at. A Soderstrom at first, Zach Geloff at second, Max Muncy and Nick Allen are, are the big shortstops of the future. And then you've either got Kevin Smith or Brett Harris at third. Okay, so I've interviewed all of these kids, right? Cody, we've interviewed everyone. I mean, we had Max Muncy right out of high school. Yeah, we had Soderstrom out of high school. Uh, we've talked to Langoliers already. We talked to Geloff. We talked, yeah. We talked. We saw Geloff play in San Jose. Okay, the only guy I don't know much about, so he'd be the most intriguing to me because we were told Geloff's the future at third. Now it's second. No problem yep. with that. He's a bat. I don't care where he plays as long as he hits. Uh, who is Brett Harris, and why should I be excited by him? 
Uh, I'll tell you all about Brett Harris in a second, but I did want to mention Zach Geloff. Definitely, he's been playing second base every game in the Arizona Fall League, and he just hit two home runs in the game last night. That's after hitting five home runs in nine games at Las Vegas in September. He drives so, – you know what I like about him, too, is just seeing the video, and we only get to see highlights. I like his ability to stay inside the ball and drive it to right center. That is a great sign. He lets the ball yeah. get deep, got power to right center. Obviously, he can pull it, but he's just not pull happy because we know you come up here and you're pull happy and that's all you can do. You're going to see so many sliders and you're going to strike out. I like the fact that we see him go the other way with the baseball. I think that's one thing about Geloff is he's, he's, a, he's a professional hitter, you know. I mean, he's got a good approach. He really knows how to handle the bat. Um, and that's what you like to see in a young player because a lot of times they're just a lot more raw as hitters at that point. But he seems to know what he's doing at the plate. That's why I think by, by late next year we will probably see Geloff in the A's infield. But Brett Harris, who you asked me about, is intriguing because he was the A's seventh-round draft pick last year. Hasn't gotten as much attention, but this season he had the third best batting average, the third best on base percentage, and the third best OPS among all A's minor leaguers with at least 300 at bats this year. And uh, again, this was just his first season, um, a full season in pro ball after being drafted uh, last year. And you know, he's good in the field at third base. Again, another professional hitter has a good approach at the plate. Hit really well at Double A Midland. Should have a shot at uh, Vegas Triple A this year. So if he gets off to a good start in Triple A, he could be, you know, in the A's uh, infield at the hot corner by the end of next season. He's also a little older. He's 24, so he's had a lot of college experience. Uh, he's been around. He he knows how to play the game. And and Bobby Crosby at Midland really raves about his approach. But also, if, if for any reason Brett Harris doesn't work out, Kevin Smith, we know what happened with him last year. But, you know, he really turned it on late in the season at AAA Vegas. He ended oh, up hitting yeah. <laughs> 11 home runs in 25 games in September. So there are a couple options there. Or either Brett Harris or Kevin Smith uh, could be at the hot corner for the A's uh, uh, next year. You know, at the end of the fifth, I always do a minor league report. And I, I read about, you know, certain things guys did uh, in, in, at every level. And it was like, Kevin's. it was like, is this real? It was like he was hitting a home run every game and going three for four. And he's a great guy. Kevin Smith, I remember interviewing him at spring training. Then we had him on the show again uh, before he was sent down. I mean, really the type of player, good guy that you really root for and very athletic, could play shortstop. So uh, do you think Kevin Smith – will be given the opportunity to be the third baseman with Brett Harris then is the option and maybe really quick the option coming up from Las Vegas. That's kind of how I see it playing out. I think they're going to give Kevin Smith every chance to win a roster spot again this spring. Um, you know, I think you'll probably end up seeing Kevin Smith and uh, Vimeo Machine on the roster to start the season. So you'll have a, a lefty and a righty third base option there. Then it just kind of depends on how their performance goes. You'll probably have Brett Harris at third base in Vegas, see how his performance goes. So you could have three potential options at the hot corner as the season unfolds uh, next year anyway. All right, so definitely you see Brett Harris as a big leaguer. Yeah, again, 
I think he's just, he's a smart player. He kind of, one of these guys that kind of does everything right, um, you know, has a lot of confidence in the field, uh, knows what he's doing. Again, not a high draft pick, but a seventh round pick. So that's yeah. not bad. And uh, like I say, every every manager he's played for talks about, you know, what a great guy he is on the field, how he knows what he's doing, uh, knows how to play the game. And again, he's a little more advanced, had, had a lot of years in college ball. He's 24 now. I think he's a legitimate uh, major league prospect at the at the worst he could potentially be you know a utility infielder anyway he also has played some second base but um you know I, again i think he's a potential starter at third base and uh, if not he he could be a useful uh, utility player in the infield as well well you know i mean you start looking at certain guys and you're like well we can't wait to see these guys and two of them are on your list and i know he's young I mean, Max Muntz, he's 20, but you start moving him up through the system. I mean, what do you start to think for him? I mean, does he start in double A or is he back in, you know, where where, where do you think he starts next year? Is yeah, it- you know, I mean, just so you know, he was he was 19 for most of the season. He just turned 20 a couple months ago. So, you know, he's he's still pretty fresh out of high school. So there's still time with him. I think he'll probably this is just my guess. He'll probably start the season at Lansing. Um, if you know, if he hits well there. Oh, look who's joined us. It's uh, uh one of my felines. Um, nice. uh, <laughs> she wants to get in on the act. Um, uh, I think, uh, I think uh, Max Muncy will probably start the season at Lansing. If he gets off to a good start there, I think they'll very quickly move him up to double-A Midland. Um, but I think, you know, there's no rush on Muncy. I think they want to give Nick Allen every chance at shortstop. Obviously, we know how good Nick Allen is in the field. If he's able to develop with the bat just a little more, I mean, honestly, Allen can hit like 240. That's right around league average at this point in time, you know. So with his defense, he could be valuable there. So I think Muncy's probably still a couple years away with Nick Allen in that spot. But, um, you know, if he hits, they'll move him up. And if he's ready for the majors, you know, he'll be here sooner sooner or later. And, and you know, probably not too, too much later anyway. I know you're not going to be shocked by this, but I don't buy all the time what's being sold because I'm looking around the rest of Major League Baseball. I'm seeing 21, 22 all over the game. So that's why I say, hey, listen, I'm not looking at birth dates anymore. I'm not, I don't care about your birth certificate. Can you play or not? Can you help us? And if this kid, whether he goes to Lansing, Midland, if he goes and he hits and he continues to hit and he can field, I, okay, all right. But by the time he's 21, 22, if he can play, I'm not afraid. Let, let's go. Being young well, is not a bad thing. Well, you'll be happy to know that uh, Tyler Soderstrom will be turning 21 next month. Yes. So he'll be starting out next season as an aged vet at the age of 21. And. And, uh, you know, I think it's entirely possible if he gets off to a good start and has some time in AAA where he's doing well this year that you could see him up with the A's late next season, sort of uh, around the time that Shea Langoliers came up maybe. And uh, he would just be a 21-year-old making his major league debut if he debuts at any point before the end of next season. He he will be 21, so um, he could get a shot at a young age. But as I've mentioned to you before, I think he's most likely to be getting that shot at first base, um, you know, not as a catcher. Uh, the A's have plenty of catching options, again, particularly with Langoliers uh, ready to go there. But I think there's a good chance you could see a 21-year-old Tyler Soderstrom uh, playing some first base for the A's before the end of next season anyway. I think you'll agree with this. When he turns 21, the ID will say 21, but that bat's not 21. 
Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he, he's definitely got an advanced bat for his age, especially the power. I mean, that's the great thing to see with him is the power is real. He led all A's minor leaguers in home runs. He had 29 home runs this year. And again, that was just as a 20-year-old. He hit way more home runs than anyone else in the A's system. And he wasn't playing in like crazy hitters parks, you know, for, for the most part or anything. So his power is real. Um, the one thing about him, though, is, you know, he's a left-handed hitter and he has had some trouble hitting left-handed pitching. I think he hit about 200 against left-handers this year and the power doesn't really show up against left-handed pitchers uh, for him, but he really mashes those right-handed uh, pitchers. And again, at such a young age to be able to, you know, show that power is, is great to see. Seth Brown said it this year and I couldn't agree with him more when we started asking him, Hey, you're starting to hear in the second half to hit lefties better. His answer was simple. They're allowing me to hit lefties. You don't learn to hit lefties at this level unless you get the opportunity. And if there's failures, that's okay. We're now in a point of we're still in the land of discovery. Let them play every day. Let them learn. At some point, when you've got an advanced bat, you'll fig- that computer in your head, it's not the talent. It's the computer in his head. We'll start to figure it out. Make the adjustments. I, I am not worried about Soderstrom. I, you know, if his bat is as advanced as we think, uh, he'll be here very soon, and he'll be in this lineup, and hopefully for a long, long time. Let's go to the outfield. Uh, some interesting names, some in- interesting athleticism. Where do you want to start first? Well, let's talk talk about a couple of the the younger players I've got in the outfield mix as future impact players for the A's, and that's uh, Denzel Clark and Lawrence Butler. They're both playing in the Arizona Fall League right now. Uh, they're both 22 years old. Uh, Butler is more of a, a right fielder uh, type, and uh, he's really hitting well in the Arizona Fall League. I think in his first six games, he's got two home runs, three doubles. He's hitting over 300. Um, He had a a breakthrough season in the minors in 2021 where he really put himself on the map. And, you know, both these guys, Clark and Butler, have a combination of power and speed. And I I think Lawrence Butler in a couple of years could be the A's uh, right fielder. Um, And Denzel Clark, he was just drafted last year in the fourth round by the A's. He had a tremendous season at Lansing and Stockton this year. And um, he, he, I think he had maybe the fourth best OPS in the A's minor league system in his first full season of pro ball. He really has both power and speed. He stole 30 bases this last season. He hits home runs, he hits doubles, and he plays center field. Reminds me a little bit of a guy, I'm sure you'll remember the name anyway, Andre Dawson, you know, uh, a big guy who can play center field, has power, but also has speed. Again, they're both playing in the AFL for the A's right now, and that's usually where you like to put your, you know, your high-profile prospects. And uh, I think both those guys, they're probably the two most promising outfield prospects in the A's system right now. Again, they're both a little ways away because neither of them has played above high A yet. They're both 22, but they're both playing in the FL, getting experience there. And the A's really don't have many high-level outfield prospects at the top of the system. So I think Lawrence Butler and Denzel Clark are two of the most exciting outfield prospects to keep your eye on. Yeah, I'm not sure we need a guy like Andre Dawson. (laughs) maybe we'll give that a pass (laughs) you can have your tim Raines and gary carter and all those old expos uh of course the of course the hall of famer won his mvp with the chicago cops i bet you know what 
something that you definitely want to see is athleticism. You know, we want to see more athleticism. Athleticism leads to better defense, and we know, you know, we talk so much about home runs and getting on base that one of the hallmarks of Bob Bob Melvin teams that were good in Oakland was how good the defense was. Yeah, and as we know, the, the defense wasn't that great this past season no. for the A's. Uh, hopefully Nick Allen can, uh, being there all season can help out a bit, and hopefully uh, other moves will improve things a bit. But, yeah, I think, um, you know, there's some promising defensive guys, you know, um, in the system. I think Shea Langoliers is going to be a good defensive catcher. Uh, Denzel Clark has the potential to be a good defensive center fielder. Zach Geloff can play a good second base. I think Brett Harris and Kevin Smith both have the potential to be solid third baseman as well in the field so I, I think the defense will be improving it's just when you've got such a young team like the A's had this year you know there's there's always going to be a lot of miscues with with you know kids that young on the team when I see Max at 25 I say ready to rock you're 25 yeah, you know, that's the, on my list. I included Max Schumann as a potential uh, left fielder. He's the only guy on my all prospect team who's not on MLB Pipeline's uh, top 30 uh, in terms of the position players on the list. But again, there aren't many top level outfield prospects in the A's system. So I put him in there because he's an intriguing guy. He's he's a bit older. He's 25, but he led the A's system in on-base percentage last year. He had an on-base percentage over 400, and over the course of the last two seasons, he's stolen a total of, I think, 76 bases. So the guy gets on base, he steals bases, and he scores runs. And he's played all over the field. He's played every position besides pitcher and catcher. So, you know, he's a guy with kind of a thin outfield crop in the a, at the top of the A system right now who could potentially at some point next year get a shot to, to be in the outfield mix anyway. I'd like to see him get a shot. He's, um, you know, he's played his butt off every team he's been on. Uh, Bobby Crosby, you know, loved having him at Midland this year. He's a real gamer who's really improved himself after being drafted in the 20th round a, a few years ago. And I, I'd love to get a, see him get a shot in the A's outfielder as a versatile sort of a Ben Zobrist a utility type of player. All right, let's go to the two pitchers you have. We we uh, interviewed Chriswell at the University of Michigan mm. when he was uh, – it was great. He was at his draft party with his head coach. We had him on. It was a <laughs> lot of fun. And, and and Hogan Harris, tell us about these two pitchers. So Jeff Criswell was the second-round draft pick a couple years ago. They took him right after Tyler Soderstrom in 2020. And Criswell always had great stuff at Michigan, throws hard. It, command was just an issue with him. You know, he wasn't always sure where the ball was going. He'd walk a lot of guys. But this year, he made big improvements in that. And uh, he had the second most strikeouts in the A's minor league system. He struck out an average a little over nine batters per nine innings. He threw almost 120 innings, which, which is a lot for minor league pitchers these days. So he was healthy. He was solid. He had improved command. And he's got he can strike guys out, you know, he's got the stuff. So I think, you know, in terms of right-handed pitchers, Jeff Criswell is the next one to keep an eye on. He should be in the Vegas rotation next season. And then the other guy, left-hander Hogan Harris is really intriguing. The A's drafted him a few years ago in the third round, but you know, he was hurt. He's had so many injuries. He, I don't think he'd even pitched 70 innings since he'd been drafted by the A's a few years ago, but this year he was healthy. He was on the mound. He made it all the way from high A to double A to triple A Vegas and struck 
average of almost 13 guys per nine innings. You know, this guy definitely has the stuff. He's a big, strong left-hander who throws hard, and he's finally healthy. And I think, um, you know, next season, the A's rotation, I think, is pretty well set for next year if everybody's healthy. You've got Cole Irvin, Paul yeah. Blackburn, James Caprillion, J.P. Sears, and Ken Waldachuk. But as we know, there's always injuries. Something always happens. Most teams don't just need five starting pitchers. They usually end up using 10 over the course of 13. the season. The average yeah, now yeah. is 13. You know, that's what happens now. So you've got your starting five. That's great. But you need another half dozen down at AAA, too. And I think Jeff Criswell and Hogan Harris are maybe the two guys who, certainly if they get off to good starts in Vegas, you'll see plugged in when an opening ar arises. But then you've also got guys, you know, probably at Vegas this year, like uh, uh, Adam Aller and Adrian Martinez and Zach Logue and maybe Jared Kennig and uh, – um, guys like that as well. But I think I think Criswell and Harris are the two that haven't made their major views yet that could be, you know, potential impact pitchers um, in the future when the openings arise for the A's. Quickly, Ginn, Hogland, where do you see them? Uh, Ginn, is, Ginn is pitching in the uh, AFL right now. I think he's pitching today, actually. Um, so he's healthy again, which is good. Uh, a guy you didn't mention, Ryan Cusick, who the A's also acquired last year and kind of like Ginn had a lot of injury issues. He's had a couple starts in the AFL and he's pitched really well um, in his two starts in the AFL. So I think Cusick's um, really a little, just a little ahead of Ginn right now, but they're both healthy. They're both pitching in the Arizona Fall League. They're both pitching well. So that's great to see. Um, uh, Hoagland, uh, we're probably going to have to wait to see him in action, you know, until spring training. He had a he came back, pitched like a game or two for Stockton and and then had a little hiccup and, you know, was sidelined again. Um, but, you know, we'll we're just going to have to wait and see um, where he's at health wise once he gets on the mound next spring. But it's good to see Cusick again both healthy again, both pitching well uh, in the AFL. So if those guys remain healthy, they'll put themselves on the map and in the mix before long, too. Great stuff. Keep your phone on. We're going to call you soon because we want to know everything these young guys are doing in the Arizona Fall League. Great. Absolutely. Happy to talk to you anytime, Townie. All right, buddy. Great work as always. Thank you. Athleticsfarm.com. Up next, we head to San Diego. Scott Miller, longtime MLB columnist, friend of the program, and an update from the Bronx. Next, right here on A's Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Josh Naylor has just ripped to double to center field. And the Guardians have taken a 4-2 lead 
in the 10th inning. First career relief appearance for Jamison Tyone after 143 career starts. It didn't go so well for him there, Booney. And this thing isn't over. As Naylor's now on second base, Yankees' defense has fallen apart in this inning. And like I said, it's kind of a must, like a must win because you go down 0-2, your your chance to win is just 3.15, excuse me, 11.5. So this is a huge for Cleveland. And the amount of momentum that will take them back to Cleveland, Scott Miller, longtime baseball columnist, now does TV, radio, down in San Diego, is with Fox. He joins us. Do we have Scott? Scott, how are you? Welcome back to Ace Cast Live. Good. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well, and I've been trying to tell everybody that uh, what's going to happen down in the gas lamp, it's going to be rocking tonight around Petco Park. Yeah, it is. People in town, I'm at the ballpark now, and people in town are so fired up. Uh, you know, there hasn't been a – the Padres were in the playoffs briefly in 2020. They hosted St. Louis, but that was during the pandemic when no fans were allowed in the stands. So, during – I covered that series, and it was an empty stadium. But as the Padres won outside the ballpark, people were going crazy. And um, they haven't had a game in Petco, a postseason game, since 2006 with um, fans, and people are just out of their minds excited about tonight. Yeah, you just think about the percentages, and the team that wins tonight goes on to win the series 71.9% of the time. I I don't want to make, and it's something that's unfortunate I want to get into with you, but, I mean, you look at Gonsolin, you look at Snell, but – I can't expect either of these two guys to be around that long. Was my assumption correct, you think? Yeah, I mean, Gonsolin, he's only thrown two innings since August 23rd with that forearm strain. Now, the, he threw a couple of simulated games in the interim as he was coming back. But, you know, Dave Roberts says probably 75 pitches or so for him, and that's about it. Um, you know, that's going to go quick. Uh, Blake Snell – you know, he, he's pitched really well. He's been pitching the best he's looked all year the last three or four weeks of the season. Uh, but in New York the other day, he went back to his old issues of having trouble finding the strike zone. So we're going to know early, I think, with Snell, uh, if it's 50-50 mix of balls and strikes, uh, he's going to be gone sooner than later. Um, you know, if the slider is finding the, the strike zone, he could be real nasty. And right now, you got to think Bob Melvin has the ultimate confidence in his bullpen. Oh, no doubt. I mean, this Robert Suarez throws 100, 101 miles an hour, and he's just been phenomenal. Um, he's not a household name. He comes in in high leverage, late inning situations, and, uh, you know, he's been incredibly dependable. Uh, Josh Hader is beginning to resemble his old Milwaukee self after struggling early when the Padres acquired him from Milwaukee. So, yeah, both of these teams, Dodgers and Padres, have a really good bullpen. And, um, yeah, you're right about Bob Melvin liking it. And how about for the Dodgers? You know, if the Dodgers win this game, they they continue to own the Padres. They look at game two as just a little blip. But if they lose this game, this aura of this dominance over San Diego, this aura of the dominance of the season, their great record, I, what happens to the, the Dodgers' psyche if they can't bring this one home tonight? 
Yeah, I mean, that's all that's going to feed into the Padres' growing confidence. It's going to feed into the Petco Park fans who tomorrow night will come looking for blood. Um, you know, it's – yeah, the Dodgers uh, have a chance after 111 wins this season to get themselves into quite a pickle if they don't win tonight. You know, looking at right now, the Indians up four to two. I'm sure you can see it there in the press box. Excuse me, the Guardians. Yep. Just yep. watching it as we speak. What would this victory mean to them heading back to Cleveland, and how crazy will it be there in Cleveland for game three? Oh, yeah, they've announced already that game three is sold out, and it's going to be it's going to be absolutely awesome. Charge tomorrow in Cleveland. Um you know, I thought if Cleveland has a chance to pull the upset, they, they had to win today. And I shouldn't put that past Pats because they still could lose. But with Shane Bieber starting, they needed this game today. And and then tomorrow, game three, uh, Tristan McKenzie goes, and he is there. Again, he's not a household name, but that kid is can pitch. He's got a lights-out fastball. He's got a curveball that is just killer. And, um, you know, Yankees, uh, if Cleveland can pull this out today, Yankees are going to have their hands full tomorrow against the McKenzie kids. So this also could get very interesting very quickly. And we got the second game going right now where you got the world champs. We know how good the Braves are and how their season ended out, and they end up taking the West. And then you got this Phillies team that is just like a, a group. I don't want to call them misfit toys, but they're like this this puzzle where all the pieces don't fit. But right now they're fitting, and they're playing great baseball, and they have a ton of confidence. Uh, just to get that one, game one was huge for them. What, what kind of chances are you giving the fighting Phils right now? Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, they're playing their best baseball at the right time. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, whether, uh, you know, I think they've still got an uphill battle. I really like Atlanta. But Philadelphia, you know, with Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler in the rotation, I mean, that's the recipe to win in a shorter series, like best of five or best of seven. And then you get beyond that. One thing that's going to have to happen for the Phillies to win they're going to have to, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kyle Schwarber hasn't hit much lately. Uh, you know, and Reese Hoskins has. And those two guys have to step up and hit. Uh, if they do, that's going to really make Philadelphia, uh, you know, make things interesting for Philadelphia. Yeah, it's a fun series, scoreless right now in, in Philadelphia. And the one series that we – you know, we know best is obviously from our division, the Astros and the Mariners. And I've been saying, you know, going off the theme of uh, the movie Halloween, Halloween ends, if you can believe we're having another one. It's like the Astros are Michael Myers. You can't kill them. They just keep coming back and keep coming back. And, man, if you're the Mariners, how do you feel after having the lead, knocking out Verlander, having the lead in those two games, and you're going back home, and you're still down 0-2. Yeah, I mean, that was an enormous, enormous blow to the Mariners. I think it was their death blow. It was too bad. Also, what a whirlwind of emotions. I mean, the previous game, when they when they the clincher over Toronto, you know, they, 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 they come back from the 8-1 deficit, and, and they had all kinds of momentum, and then it was just killed in Houston. 
And, you know, I know Scott Service went out and made a, a long explanation the next day about their process. And the process was right and it just didn't work out. But I don't care what the process is. You know, using Robbie Ray in that position, um, you would, you know, bring him in the middle of the inning with guys on base and then he gives up the three run homer to help the rest. I mean, I just, it, it was way too big of a gamble. I, you know, whatever the Mariners say about the process, you, you can't, I think it's horrible, horrible, uh, uh, strategy to bring a starting pitcher in that's not used to coming out of the bullpen. It's bad enough to do that at the beginning of the inning with nobody on base. But to bring a starter in where he's got no room, no wiggle room, you've already got a couple guys on base, it, it's just – it was a recipe for disaster. I mean, you know, and in fact, in, in, you know, the Yankees brought Jam- Jameson Tyan in uh, in extra innings today against Cleveland, and he's the one that just gave up the two runs in Cleveland. So, you know, managers begin to do things like this in, in the postseason where all of a sudden, hey, you know, they're trying to get a, as much out of their pitching as they can so they'll use a starter here or there. And, uh, you know, as much, it seems like it backfires more often than not. And it was a spectacular backfire for Seattle the other day. And I think, you know, it's too bad because this first playoff game tomorrow in Seattle since 2001, but the air's out of the balloon and they're on their way to defeat. You know, just think about this. All the years, all the great managers that, that you have covered and you have known. And you got like a guy like Oliver Marmol of the Cardinals after a loss talking about, hey, we played our percentages. And as you mentioned, service saying, well, you know, it's the process. I mean, just how bad a look is it now, the modern-day manager after a loss, when all of their front office data doesn't work that they have to implement, and then they have to answer for it? It just – you you tell me, how bad do these guys look after when they're talking percentages and they're talking processes and they lost? Yeah, I mean, it's a game of you won or you lost. It's a winning and losing game, especially in October. And I don't, nobody wants to hear, well, yeah, our process was sound. Yeah, the result didn't work out, but the process was sound. Nobody wants to hear that. No, the players in the clubhouse don't want to hear it. The fans don't want to hear it. Um, you won or you lost. I, nobody cares what the process is. Um, you know, you, the, 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 when these games get micromanaged by the computer people upstairs, um, it, 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 it's not a great look for baseball and you know i mean you got to remember there's a human side to the game uh as joe torrey used to say you have to always remember the heartbeat of the players and the, the bottom line for decades manager's job was to put the players in the best position to succeed and i think sometimes when you go too far the other way into the computer game you're not they may on pay on the computer it looks like you're putting a player in position to succeed but in human terms you're not well let's end on this somebody that you know really well bruce bochi has talked with the texas rangers and that that's starting to come out and it's been a meeting i wasn't sure if bochi would come back what are you hearing and what do you think about bruce bochi I think he's keeping his options open. I don't know. I don't think there's a guarantee he would take the Texas job. It makes sense. He's keeping his options open. Um, I think there's a part of him that misses managing, and it makes total sense. He talks to Texas because their general manager, Chris Young, mm-hmm. uh, pitched for Bochi in San Diego. So 
it makes sense he would meet with the Rangers and kind of investigate and see what's the setup and you know what what what's involved and and that kind of thing. But um, beyond that, we'll see. It'll be very interesting. I, I would say it wouldn't surprise me if he comes back, but I don't think it's a guarantee. I think he's in the the fact finding information gathering mode right now. Well, you've been so good to us for all these years. We truly appreciate it. Obviously, you're one of the best in the business that we have. So uh, thank you. We always love having you on. Enjoy this series tonight, and uh, we'll be watching from afar. It's going to be fun. You be well, my friend. You too, Chris. Thank you. Appreciate it. And, uh, yep, enjoy the games. This is a fun time of year. Scott Miller out of San Diego, longtime columnist. I mean, he's been – CBS Sports, MLB, Fox. I mean, he's 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 done a lot of Bleacher Report. Bleacher Report. Yeah, he's 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 one of the tops in the business. All right. You see, he was pitching for the Guardian still. Class A going for a seven out outing. Hell yeah, let's go. What what what's Tito going to do tomorrow if they have another save opportunity? I'll worry about tomorrow, uh-huh. tomorrow, as they like to say. And we know what Scott just said there which is so right, people forget we play a sport. It's a sport. You win or you lose. And they have tried, and and it's a sport obviously played by humans. So what we've tried to do is control every aspect of every single thing based off data. And I understand that. And many companies, the biggest companies in the world, are successful because of data. But I think what he said there about Joe Torre, you know, sometimes you got to know the heartbeat of the team. Or you should always know the heartbeat of your team. And what happens is, is when your data doesn't work, your manager after the game's got to go out and speak to it, and he really looks like a jackass. Because data doesn't, it just, moves don't always work. And when you sit there, and instead of being able to, Say, this is why we went with this. But when they just go, like Marmol was like, well, it was the percentages. So everything you did was just based off percentages. Well, it's like anything else. And that's why I always go back to blackjack. Yeah, you can have the game plan for blackjack. You can have, this is how I'm going to do it. This is this is when you hit, when you don't hit, when you, you know there, there's a whole you can read endless books about how to play blackjack, and they tell you to never. Get off script. Have you ever read one of those? Uh, no. Well, okay. So when when there's di- people have theories about how to play blackjack. And I've that, always wanted to read a book about card counting. Well, you can't card count because then you're going to throw it. They're throw you out of the casino. No, I know, I know. Then but you, then you may end up in the middle of the desert. Yeah, true. <laughs> so I, I highly, uh, I highly recommend that you don't do. That. I never said I wanted to actually use it. I just wanted to read about what they talk about how to count cards. Yeah, well, I mean, depending on how many decks are being used, I mean, that's 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 far beyond what my uh, two outs. Two outs. Come on, Guardians! Come on, Guardians! Did you hear what Scott said? It's sold out in Cleveland already. The Mets couldn't sell it a game, but it sold out in Cleveland. I'm telling you, it, it would be a dream of mine. You're telling me New York's. A, a, By the way, this is my World Series. If the Indians take down Guardians. the Yankees, if the Guardians take down <laughs> the Yankees, this is my World Series. After this, well, everything will be gravy. Just to have the team that doesn't hit home runs, the team that plays baseball, a very fundamental way. 
right? They play defense, pitch good. They 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 make a lot of contact. They don't strike out. To take down the Yankees, who everybody wanted to crown back in June, this is my World Series. Everything else after that, I don't care what happens. Remember, the Yankees are going to win 120 games. It's not, they barely scraped over 100 wins this year after be, being on pace to win 120. This series is my World Series. This this series means more to me than anything going in my life right now. I think it was uh, 15 years ago last week, the Midges came and attacked Jabba jo- jo- uh, Chamberlain. Jabba Chamberlain. So let's see what happens tomorrow back at Progressive Field. I forgot. A midge is a bug that's like in the a, Midwest or something? Yeah. Obviously, it has wings. Yeah. Uh, Greg Horn from our baseball communications team. Oh, nice attempt to stretch. Uh, nice attempt to stretch there by Reese Hoskins from Sacramento. Didn't quite get Acuna, so we got a guy on first and with one out in that Braves game. But Greg Horn told me from our baseball uh, baseball communications team, who was working in Cleveland prior, that they're there all year round. It's not just one time a year, so they're always at the ballpark. And, and it is all over. The Guardians have taken Game Two at Yankee Stadium, a final four to two. We are even at one one. Yes. Uh, so take that after game one. Oh, went chalk. Oh, the Yankees hit home runs. Oh, the Yankees. Everybody had – no one gave the Guardians a chance in this series, and especially after they lost game one. God, I'm happy. Attaboy, Tito. We're going back to Cleveland. I love – I told you how much I love Cleveland. Who the F are these guys? See, well, we're talking about Cleveland. We have to play the Major League theme. Big win for the Guardians. Tristan McKenzie tomorrow on the mound. Uh, who's pitching for the Yankees? I, I, I think I have it written down. Uh, let's see. Who's pitching Yankees tomorrow? McKenzie versus Luis Severino. That's going to be a good one. Well, we'll see. I'm going to go five minutes. What? Yeah. What are you talking about? Start, why do you even – Eno you you was right, by the way. Why, He's, do, why do we even mention starting pitchers? They're not going to go deep. Eno was right. He said, what are you going to do, get six outs from Class A? They got seven. Yeah, it's seven. <laughs> He's going tomorrow, too. Why not? What am I saving him for? Can you go tomorrow? Can you lift your arm above your head? Great, you're in tomorrow. Let's go. It's the playoffs. By the way, a midge is a small fly, including species and several families of non-mosquito, blah, 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 blah. They do not bite. Well, that's good. So they may be annoying, and they look ugly as hell. I've never experienced a midge. I don't remember ever seeing those in Pittsburgh and where I grew up. No, other bugs, yes, but not a midge. So the midges are are in Cleveland year-round? That's what Greg said. He said they're at the ballpark all the time. I talked to him the other day in the office. We may need to get him on for a midge update. <laughs> well, we'll see how the weekend goes. If Cleveland's Wait able minute, to – The non-biting midge in Pennsylvania. You got midges where, in Where, though? Where in Pen- – no, I where – Don't do it to I need, I need to know region. Do I, You want me to know about larvae and flies <laughs> and stuff? I don't know. All right, let's see. Are midges – there's 11 subfamilies of these creatures. Nowhere else in this country can you find midge talk like we're talking about right now. They're in Wisconsin. They're, they're, they're all over the place. They're a pesky Lake Erie bug, so they're probably going to be by Lake Erie and all that stuff. So probably not Western PA, where I'm from. But like Lake Erie, that's like, that's, what is that? It's Northwestern PA. So could the mid, but, but they. Wait a minute. Was the Java Chamberlain thing in the playoffs? I thought yeah. that was when it was hot. I thought it was in the playoffs. Let's see. I want to say it was hot. Um, ALDS Game 2, 2007. 
So 15 years ago but, last but, week. I bet may, may have been warm. I don't remember. It wasn't cold at the time. Uh, let's see. Because be last time they played, the last recently has been cold in Cleveland. Like that game they played against the Rays. The, the series against the Rays was cold. Everybody was all, well, the Rays guys are soft. Uh, let's see if they, let me see if they put the they should put the temperature on here. Yeah, they? it should be on the box score. Uh, eighty-one 80, degrees. Thank you. Eighty-one in October is hot. Well, it's probably eighty-one plus the humidity. So I mean, it's probably right a- now it's sixty. It's I, I. You know what I've. You know what? If you if you want to really get it, you know what I've noticed lately. Golf ball's not flying as far. You can tell when it starts to get colder. Because when it's hot in the Bay Area, especially here in the South Bay, <laughs> ball flies. Eh, ball's not flying as much. I'm actually a big fan of the weather right now in San Jose because it's pretty nice. 66, 68. It's going to be 90 tomorrow when I'm down in Fresno. 62 yeah. in Cleveland. There's going to be no midge problem. Uh, it's going to be 90 in Fresno tomorrow when I'm down right. in San Jose State. Game three, Guardians-Yankees, telling you again, tied 1-1. Winner of game three wins 71.9% of the time. Absolutely huge. Fifteen percent chance of rain tomorrow in Cleveland. It's going to be a high of fifty-six. Is the high in Cleveland? Tomorrow. Now I need my Phillies to win. God, this could be a great day for me. Could be a great day. I mean, that's huge. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand this whole thing about New York. I love New York. I've had some great times in New York. The whole thing about the Yankees and Yankees, it, it doesn't play anymore. It's not a bit like this isn't this isn't the 50s and the 60s. The world's much smaller. I could see where a bunch of, you know, back in the 50s and the 60s, where you grew up was nothing like New York City. New York City was a place that had all these big buildings. You grew up in some farm town. Now you're in New York City. I was just I just I just watched uh Facing Nolan, the documentary on on Netflix, um, and what you know, and he's in he's in New York in the '60s, and oh my, can you imagine you go from Texas in the '60s to New York? I mean, culture shock. I Maybe mean, a culture shock now, but nothing. But everything's so small now. These guys coming up to play are not like, oh my God, we're at Yankee Stadium. You think these guys give a crap about playing at Yankee Stadium? Essentially, since it's an American League anyway, and you play there anyway? Uh, probably not, no. No, National League team maybe. But the Yankee people still think that they think this exists. Plus, this is new Yankee Stadium. It's not even the old one. They still think this thing exists. That, oh, it's New York. Like, dude, you haven't been to the World Series since 2009. What are you talking about? The worst New York one, though, by far, is when people go, it's, the, it's Madison Square Garden. It's the Knicks. What the Knicks done in the last fifty years? No one has said that. Oh, people still think it's a big deal when the Warriors go play the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. Nobody says that. You no, know? no, it may. It's a big deal to play Madison Square Garden because it's one of the top venues that for for the entertainment business in our country, Madison Square Garden's a big deal. Playing the Knicks, not so much. I couldn't tell you the last time I saw a major sporting event won at the Madison Square Garden. No, Knicks but ha- all the concerts. Oh, yeah, Knicks haven't won. Rangers haven't won. Don't Yeah, Madison Square Garden, when it comes to playing the New York Knickerbockers, has not been a uh, – they haven't won since I was born. No, no offense to the great Patrick Ewing led back in the day. Last time the Rangers won a Stanley Cup would have been in, what, 94 with Mark Messier. 
We're going to win tomorrow. Yeah, there's that. And then the Knicks. Let's see. 73. I'm going to guess 73. With Phil Jackson, the player, not the coach. Yeah, he wasn't a big part of that. Uh, They have won. Yeah, 70 and 73. 70, yeah. I was one years old. That's the last time. That was almost 50 years ago, the last time the Knicks won a title. But yeah, but they were tough with Pat Riley and, and – and Oh, yeah, yeah. Oakley and Ewing and Jeff, John, John Starks. John Starks. John, they <laughs> John, were tough. That's twice John Starks got mentioned today. <laughs> Seriously, can you imagine how – I mean, how many teams and how many great players did not get a ring because of Jordan and the Bulls? You're well, going Barkley – Carl Malone, Stockton. John Stockton, Ewing, uh, the Knicks. Uh, I mean, a lot of great players. They played in an era. Um, Reggie Miller. Yeah. I mean, a lot of guys. I mean, that that led like Larry Bird, Larry Bird coach team. Those teams were good. Those Jordan even said it. He said, other than those early Pistons teams, and they weren't winning then. So basically, in the Jordan. Winning championships era, the toughest team they faced were the Pacers. Yeah, the and what the only team that was any good other than them was the Rockets. Those back-to-back years when Jordan was retired for baseball. He's a Birmingham Baron, led yeah. by Terry Francona, the skipper Tito. Do you remember who gave up Jordan's first career professional baseball hit? What it, pitcher? Emerson didn't give up the first. That's one. what I read. I thought I thought it was Emo that gave up his first career hit. Or did Emo tell you that? Uh, no, I read it online. I thought it was in like low A or something. Scott Emerson gave up Jordan's first ever hit. No, he wasn't. He was in double A. Jordan yeah, no, but was in I, it was like a like a like a before he jumped it. Oh, let me find it. All right, coming up next, we're gonna talk to a play-by-play legend, the great Ted Leitner, right here on A's Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All righty. Coming up here, a man is a legend in the broadcasting community. Now, he's done everything. Major League Baseball, NFL, college. He was the top sports guy for your local news. Billy Beans is good friend. Billy has known him forever. If you grew up in San Diego... Ted Leitner would be like Gary Radnich, but also did play-by-play. It'd be like if Gary Radnich, because Gary was the top TV guy, right? It'd be like if Gary also did the Niners, the Giants, and Stanford. Can you imagine? I mean, that that's, that, that's how big Ted Leitner has been in his career. I mean, when you're growing up, Ted Leitner did... He was the top sports guy on the local news. He was NFL. 
Major League Baseball. He was college. I mean, not many people in a market have done all the jobs. That's how big Ted Leitner is. And still the voice of the San Diego State Aztecs. Teddy Ballgame, as they like to say, is with us. The great Ted Leitner. Ted, it is an honor once again to have you on the program. <laughs> oh, that's good. So say it again. Say it again. It sounds good. I, I'm trying to tell everybody. I'm like, like Gary Radnich, who I used to work with, was a big deal. Like, he did the TV news, but he didn't do the Niners and the Giants and Stanford. I mean, <laughs> you did it all. You've done, the, you've it, done it all. I was so lucky. And, and being in the business, you'll understand Never had to make up a resume, never had to send out a tape. (laughs) All this stuff just happened and started with a little TV job and grew into all this play-by-play with the Chargers and the Clippers before they moved to L.A. and San Diego State and and talk shows and television sports and San Diego Padres for 41 years. I don't know uh, who's taken care of me all these years, but the bottom line and answer is a lot of people who gave me a lot of breaks and a lot of jobs, and I've been a lucky guy. As someone who grew up in San Diego and I've watched and listened to you my entire life, I just want to say this. What you did to help Jerry Coleman get the Ford C. Frick Award was amazing, but also that didn't get spun to you because you put it all out there for Jerry. You're you're as much deserved. I mean, obviously Jerry's career and everything, but for you, your time – I mean, that's that's an honor that you should be up for. You spent so much time for Jerry, that also should have been there for you. You know, I, I, that's interesting that you say that because uh, I, I try not to think about that, but I did. I backed him up for about, ooh, of my 41 years with the Padres, I backed him up for maybe 30-some years with him as the number two guy and made it clear to the Padres, hey, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. You don't have to change us. You don't have to demote Jerry and make me number one. In fact, don't do that. I don't want anybody to be upset with me because Jerry is, is an amazing, amazing man and so popular, more popular than me, and a war hero leaving the Yankees twice to fight in World War II in Korea. I'm just fine as the backup, and it worked out that way, and eventually I did take over, and then he passed away in 2014. But just the honor of working alongside him was good enough for me. You've seen this rivalry for a long, long time, Dodgers-Padres, and it's hard to believe that when we're looking at the schedule of games, when they're saying prime time, they don't want the East Coast teams right now. They want Dodgers. They want Padres prime time television. Did you ever think you'd see that? No, honestly, no. And that you know that, that that's the kind of thing that the networks would want in terms of uh, you know, the Yankees, but the Yankees-Cleveland is not that – that juicy of, of, of rivalry and, and markets and all that stuff. But Padres Dodgers is, it's become that. I mean, it, and always, always the Dodgers would say, no, 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 the Padres are not our biggest rival. Obviously the Giants are, and they were correct. That goes all the way back to New York when the three teams were in New York and, you know, all the fans back in New York, you were a Yankee fan or one of the other two, you were never a fan of two or three and you hated the other team. So same thing. This is, uh, this is, you're right. Dodger Giants is the biggest, but the Giants ain't in it, and the Padres are, and that's now the biggest on the West Coast. And they don't like each other. And there's, it's just, there's no question the Dodgers are better. But anything, as we say, can happen in the short series, and sometimes it does. So nobody's given up here. Yeah, I mean that 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 also is kind of a juicy thing. It's not like the Guardians Yankees. They don't hate each other. 
Astro, no. Astros, in our division, Astros, Mariners don't hate each other. I mean, no. Philly, no. Atlanta. These two teams, the actual players, the franchises don't like each other. Just It makes for, <laughs> be, makes for better theater. No, it's unbelievable. I can take you back to the 80s when we had a second baseman named Juan Bonilla, and he was okay, and, and the Padres were not good. But they seemed to beat the Dodgers regularly back then, unlike now where the Dodgers win almost all of them in the last couple of years. And Juan scored a run against the Dodgers to win the ballgame. And as he got the home plate, he slowed down and he pointed to home plate. And the Dodgers lost their minds. As in, we beat you guys, you're nothing. And this, this guy, this clown, is going out there, pointing the home plate like he's sticking it to the Dodgers. And this went on as a rivalry so, so many months. It was fascinating because the Dodgers would always, you know, ignore the Padres. It's the Giants. It's not the Padres. But Juan set him off, and there's other things that, that set him off. And uh, according to the, the Dodger people that I know now and played back then, they would tell me, you know, Ted, you set him off also because the Dodgers would go back to their hotel and watch you on the 11 o'clock news <laughs> making fun of the Dodgers and, and so forth. And they hated you as much as they hated the Padre players. And I said, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Remember when uh, Lasorda talking about Bavakwa saying he'd send a car for him to ring at the ballpark because he couldn't hit blank and water if he fell out of a boat? <laughs> All of that. There's so many stories through the years. And it always, it was, again, it was directed at the Dodgers and it was directed at Tommy. And it was just a really great fun. You know what I mean? And, and if it's not, they're not fighting in the stands. But, of course, that happens. If they're not doing that, then it's a fun rivalry. Sometimes they go a little too far. But if anybody, if these Padre fans want to beat anyone, it's the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the fact that they come away with a split in L.A., this place is going crazy. In cities where you don't have regular playoffs or world championships, and the Padres do not have a world championship, this is an enormous, an enormous thing. Well, you know about Philly and the East Coast, and Philly right now has just hit a home run. They're up 4 nothing. Uh, against Atlanta in the third. Philly's dealing with the same thing because they haven't been to the playoffs and had a home game since 2011. Exactly. And, and, and Philadelphia has to have all the teams. You know, the Padres are not hot. They kind of stumbled through September, and they had their problems because they can't score runs. That's not a Philadelphia uh, problem. But I would take the Padre pitching over Philadelphia's. But I think that's the Cinderella team under that guise of anything can happen in the short series and normally does. That you know the big boppers don't hit the little punch and Judy guys. You know they they're the ones that suddenly have great World Series and be the MVP. In fact, you mentioned Jerry Coleman, my partner. We should mention is from the Bay Area and grew up in the Bay Area and then played for the Yankees and so forth. But Jerry was the MVP of the 1950 World Series, and it's always those kind of hitters, not in his lineup, the DiMaggio's and guys like that. In 1950, it was it was Jerry Coleman as the MVP, and right now that Philadelphia team is, is the one to watch, and they get hot. Anything can happen. And the Padres, who do not hit regularly, hit against the Mets in New York, hit just enough to win one game, five runs in Los Angeles. And what you're going to get, that's why we play the games. Nobody has a clue. I can tell you, all my buddies from back home in San Diego, we're on this text thread. They are not happy with Juan Soto. And I know the big trade came <laughs> in. and But, what you know, it's great that he can walk, but – I. Just, just give us the temperature of this guy that's turned down four hundred something million. Suppose he wants five hundred right. million, and right now, not people aren't thrilled with the the lack of swinging the bat with Juan Soto. 
and a lack of, of results and, and, uh, other than, and, and when he is swinging the bat. So, I mean, that can happen. It happens to everybody. But i got to be honest. I don't remember a player being picked up at the trade deadline like he was. And this is not a good player. This is an amazing player. I talked to one old-time scout who lives here in San Diego when the Padres got him. And I said, hey, i got to tell you, this guy, this, this soda reminds me of a young Chipper Jones. He's a great, great young hitter. And the guy said to me, reminds you of Chipper Jones? He reminds me of Ted Williams. This Soto guy has got an eye like, like Ted Williams, and that kind of power may be more power than Ted, and goes on and on and on. So everybody in baseball thinks this guy is not just the walking man, and it's not just on base percentage or on OPS, but the just great player. I've never seen, to finish my sentence, a player that terrific with that background and leading the Nationals to a world championship be so consistently ineffective and bad for an entire second half of a season in the history of baseball. That is remarkable. And they thought, well, if he gets hot in the postseason, they got a shot. He hasn't gotten hot, and he's still got past the Mets and got a split in Los Angeles. So they're, they're walking on a, a tightrope right now. They need him to be Juan Soto, and he absolutely has not been. And you wouldn't expect that. He didn't come from the American League. He came from the Nationals. He came to the National League, and he's seen these pitchers. And it's just amazing how ineffective he's been. But the one guy that you want up there, and we got to see him for years in Baltimore, he's a, you ki- sure did. He's a killer. <laughs> Manny Machado is that guy that Manny is a player. Manny is a gamer. He is one of the great players I have ever seen. And, and when he signed a 30, year, $30 million a year contract, he came to spring training, and I did it. I was doing the San Diego State basketball game, and I, I joined the club in spring training, and I met him. And I said, man, you ever hear of Jackie Gleason? And he said, no. He said, Jackie Gleason, big star for CBS and really used to be a tough negotiator and, and just pound CBS for every dime he could. And he came up with the idea that you could never be overpaid, Manny, that if they're willing to pay you the money, then you're not overpaid. And Manny said to me, that's what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to tell you, this between that speed, I make it everything look easy at third base. This is one of the great Hall of Fame players in baseball right now. And he got the proper, the bad rap, you know, with business about hustling and running full speed to first base with other teams and, and, and having fights on the field and, and incidents where they boo him all the time, especially in Dodger Stadium. But every place, every place, they don't boo him in Baltimore and they don't boo him in San Diego. But he's not that guy. He's matured so much since then. The players love him. The Latino players worship him. And he's really a great guy. And I think when MVP votes come, there will probably be still sports writers who will think he's the old Manny and maybe not vote for him. But he's a new Manny, and he is absolutely a pleasure to watch. You know how much we love Bob Melvin, what he did here with Oakland, and we all got to know him. He's just such a special person. Just truly what has he meant for this franchise as a leader? I said on the air that uh, when Bob showed up and put his gear in his office, the the team got 25% 25% better. That's the kind of man he is. Just, and just like Bruce Bochy, a former catcher who relates to the players, both young and old, a true leader. Born to see Bochy's father was, was a sergeant in the United States Army. He was a big-time leader. Bochy learned that. And Bob has all those qualities. It's not rah-rah. It's never me-me, the manager. It's always deferring to his players, never throwing them under the bus publicly, calling them in privately. He's a perfect 
person, perfect personality to manage. And you've seen him up, up close and you know. And, and the Padres, quite frankly, had spent a lot of money on, on Manny Machado's and Tatis's and guys like that and, and getting uh, Blake Snell and, and Darvish. But they would hire kind of like a, you know, a, meet, a minor league coordinator type of guy from the minors, an unknown guy to be the manager. And my comment was, you know, if you're going to buy a Ferrari, don't hire a 16-year-old kid with a learner permit to drive the Ferrari. <laughs> you need to get a big time, not that they listen to me, but that was my comment about hiring these young guys that didn't play in the majors. And the players don't respect guys like that. So they made that mistake, and I believe they, they knew it. And that's why they went out and got a Bob Melvin, and that's one of the great hires in Padre history, or certainly in recent times. Now, I'm also a San Jose State graduate. I left San Diego to go to San Jose State, and obviously we're having another good year football. You're still the voice of the Aztecs, so right now we're in first place. But looking at Aztec football and Brady Hoke coming back and the new stadium where the Chargers and the Murph used to be, uh, how are things going with the Aztecs and that new stadium? The football team has underachieved. They made Arizona, you know, a team that won one game last year. You probably remember they won the one game against Cal because Cal had 97 guys out with COVID. They never would have beaten Cal last year. They would have been winless the entire season. And uh, the Aztecs beat them last year down in Tucson. And they came up here and they looked like Alabama against San Diego State. And they aren't that good subsequently in terms of who they played. So the Aztecs have not been what they expected to be. The offense has been very, very, well, the worst passing attack in football until last Saturday. And that's, that's uh, outrageous. So they have a ways to go. And it's a young offensive line. Don't have the, the breakaway back they've had for literally the last 10 years. But their defense is still tough. And uh, they had tough games, you know, with Utah and, uh, like I said, Arizona. But I think they're good enough to win a bunch of games the rest of the way and get themselves another bowl game, which they normally have done in like 10 of the last 11 games, 10 of the last 11 years. So the football has a ways to go. The basketball is going to be powerhouse, which is exciting. So I, it's always, it's been a good time to be a San Diego State Aztec for the last 10 or 12 years. They've done a whole lot of one at winning. And they're, they're, my favorite stat is from 2010, when Kawhi Leonard was here in basketball, the combined winning percentage of football and basketball for the last since 2010 it's Ohio State number one in winning percentage and San Diego State number two in the nation in combined winning percentage in football and basketball that's pretty good for little old San Diego not bad at all and let me just tell you this for you as you know myself growing up down there and Billy Bean growing up and what you meant to us uh, I texted Billy Bean while we were doing this interview he said he said tell Ted hello love him (laughs) I'm a big Billy Bean fan. I think he's absolutely brilliant. He will be in terms of how he's changed things with his with his his, his, his system uh, under Moneyball and so forth. One of the, truly the fathers of Moneyball. I think Billy will be in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. I hope to be there for him that day because Billy is is I don't use the word genius very much uh, in, in sports at all, but Billy is a genius. He has an amazing mind, and as you know, a great great high school player, a great minor league player that. Uh, never panned out for the majors, but Billy Bean is one of the greats in baseball, without question. Well, I know I always say this, but uh, it's an, always an honor having you on my program. As someone who's watched you since I was a kid to where I am now <laughs> in my career, it is it means a lot that you pick up the phone and you say yes. Anytime, and I appreciate those words very much, though I can, I can feel my hair turning whiter when you say that, much whiter. 
I feel at 99 years old, people say that, but uh, hey, to be around to hear that is a really good thing. Hey, the fact that I text Billy Bean and he instantly gets back to me to say hello, it tells you something. That's some things. I appreciate that, and I'm impressed that Billy would, would answer your emails or texts. <laughs> a lot of people, he would not. <laughs> You're the best, Ted. Enjoy the rest of this series. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it tonight. Take care. The great Ted Lightner, Teddy Ball Game. I'm telling you, it's like take Radnich, uh, Mark Abanez, who just retired. Not only are they doing the nightly news, who you watch, or we used to watch, they're also the play-by-play voice of, like, the 49ers or or <clears throat> would be the Raiders and the A's or the 49ers and the Giants. That That's what he – I mean, that's – you want to talk about – you mean, you're doing the Chargers, the Padres, the nightly news, the Aztecs, doing them all. Yeah, they're <clears throat> the only it's guy crazy. that – Growing up in Pittsburgh, he's actually still there. He was my mentor when I interned at the TV station, Bob Pompiani. He actually – is the sports director on TV at CBS there. He calls NFL, he calls NFL preseason games for the Steelers, and he has a radio show that he does too. It's not as far as what Ted does, but I'm trying to compare to anyone I would know, and he's the only guy I could think of that's done something like that. that yeah, Radich did the talk show on KNBR for years, which I worked with Gary. He retired just, what, a couple years ago from yeah, both. But, I mean, you're the play-by-play means you're traveling. Yeah. Right? I mean – you're doing the 6 o'clock news, the 11 o'clock news. You're doing all the newses. You're doing the play-by-play. You're traveling. I mean, it was just like, how does this guy do all of this? It's a big deal. Yeah, for sure. The Phillies. Do you want to, can, we play the, can we play the Reese Costins home run? You've had a couple balls go deep in Philly. This is, all, this is like one of the greatest right. days Here's ever. Here's the Reese Hoskins home run off go. of Spencer Strider. Listen to that place. Going nuts. Oops, sorry. The uh, the bat the bat toss that he does where he just throws it in the, the ground. Bryce Hi- and then Bryce Harper goes yard. And uh, yeah, let me get it. As, as Dylan Lee comes in to face Bryce Harper, 4 nothing on the Hoskins homer. Now Harper sends one in the air, way back to right center. That one's gone. This place explodes. Uh, Spencer Strider out after, what, two and a third? How do you not like Bryce Harper? I love the guy. I always have, always will. Now, I made... I made the comparison, and it's really proving out. Not saying I'm always right. I, 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 I've been wrong plenty of times. I've had the A's winning World Series. I've, I've, I would have multiple rings if my predictions were right. But this Phillies team reminds me of anybody out there listening or watching. You played summer ball. And you were on a good team. We had players from your area, different high schools. But, you know, whether it was like a Colt League team, later on Palomino, I don't even know what they're called now. But you get on this team with this group of players. And, it, you know, it's not like it fits. Like, 
the group of players come together and it's like you're left, you're right, you're short. You're, you just have a group of like players that come together and like maybe too many shortstops or maybe too many center fielders, but everybody just starts playing. You're trying to get your work in. It's summer, whatever. You win some, you lose some. And then all of a sudden, as you get late and you start heading to the playoffs, it starts to work. It starts to work. And you start winning, and you guys like each other, and you're sneaking beers, and you, you, you like your coach, and you're on the summer ball team. And you start playing these other teams, and they may be, you know, the pieces to the puzzle may fit better for them, but you guys don't give a crap. Like, you guys are just, you're rolling it out there, and you start beating people. That's what the Phillies remind me of. They're like the summer ball team came together. They're hitting their stride. Are they a perfect team? God, no. Their defense is bad. Their bullpen sucks. <laughs> that, that's also true. You, you want numbers here? I'll give you some numbers. How They're, about these numbers on the top of their order? Schwarber, hold on. He's 0 for, 0 for 10. He got walked. And then Hoskins was 1 for 19 for 8 the home run. Schwarber and Hoskins were a combined 1 for 34. Yeah. Do you know what that is for a batting average? Uh, Not good. .029. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of strikeouts between them, too. But what happens with that summer ball team that catches fire? None of this crap that I highlight, all this kind of – look at all this stuff that I go through every day. It goes day. out the window. goes <laughs> summer ball team. They got beers in the cooler right now. They don't care. Like high school kids, hey, we got beers in the cooler. We just got to win this game. That's what they feel like. You got the Braves that are a team that is a completely put-together, quality roster. You could call it a great roster that's been put together with so much thought, analytics, data. They've wrapped up all these players that they have with millions of dollars for long-term commitments, but they're really good deals. They're not crazy, stupid $400, $300 million contracts. They're a well-orchestrated machine, the Atlanta Braves right now. Right? Yeah, I agree. Okay? Phillies aren't. Phillies are a hodgepodge group of guys that say, cracking up cold ones, let's go out and play. And right now, that's winning. Right now, they are they they're fearless. They're absolutely fearless. That's why I am not going to be shocked if the Phillies move on and whoever they play, let's just say it's the Dodgers. The same narrative that you heard from the lazy ass media who doesn't know baseball will tell you oh, they got no chance against the Dodgers. Dodgers won 111 blah 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 blah. blah. Phillies don't care what you want. Phillies are that guy, that fighter, that, you know what, he doesn't care who he fights, I'm ready to go. He's scary. He is a scary. He believes. This guy believes. This fighter. That's a scary fighter to beat. And that's the Phillies right now. Once again, Phillies, they're a long way to go here. Six-nothing in the fourth inning. But if they win, I've been telling you, if they win – there now chances to eliminate the Braves is seventy one point nine percent. Can you say? Can we use the expression here? The Phillies are playing with house money. They're playing with a lot of house money. All right, so we got a double here from Travis Darnell with and, one out. And you know how I feel about house money. House money, man, you're having a great time in Vegas with house money. 
You go to Vegas, you go to Reno, you're playing with house money. You got a bunch of cash you didn't expect to have. Now, you, Oh, you want to do that steak dinner now? Oh, yeah, let's go. You want to do this? You want to, You don't care because you got house money. And you play free. You play loose. What do the Phillies? I mean, Phillies win, lose. Everybody's going to be like, man, what a great year. And these people, like it's not cold yet, so we're watching this game. It's not cold yet. So there's people in T-shirts and stuff, so – they're still having a good time. Uh, well, well, we'll get the first-hand account. Uh, our good friend Paul Hembakides. Hembo was supposed to come on with us today, but he had to cancel because, well, he's at the game. Mm. So Hembo's it, Citizen, at Citizens Bank Park. Good for him. Uh, he what a, what a last few months he's had. New dog, twin babies, Phillies in the playoffs. Phil, and, and remember, after that Phillies run, they're of, what, they won it in eight? They, then lost to the Yankees in nine. Yeah, and they were in the playoffs the next two and years. And then since then, crap. Yeah, it's been 11 years of nothingness. As Eck called the Pirates lineup, as Dave O'Brien mentioned the other day, a hodgepodge of nothingness is what happened in Philly the last 11. That's what Eck called the Pirates lineup. I mean, you, 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 you look at some of these franchises. I mean, Philly is an old franchise. Philadelphia A's and the Philadelphia Phillies are old franchises out of Philly. And it's a great sports town because they are demanding. It's awesome. And what a great time to be a Philadelphia fan is Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. Sixers start on Tuesday. That's the only team from Philly I like no because cares about the Sixers. Flyers have started their season. They stink. They've won a title since 1975. The Broad Street Brawlers, what are they? No, the Broad Street Bullies. Broad Street Bullies. They've won a title since the 70s. I don't care about them. They're irrelevant. When was the last time the Sixers won? The 80s? With Dr. Uh, with J, Dr. And, J Moses. and Moses Malone. <laughs> yeah. Is that like 83? The last time they went to the finals was 83. It was 83. I'm a Sixers fan. The last time they went was 83? The last time they won. The last time they went was the year when. No, they won. They went to the finals what, with uh, Ivers. Uh, yeah, we stepped over Tyron. That was 2000 with Larry Brown as a When's coach. the last time they won? 83. 83. That was the last time they won. Moses, Mo Cheeks, Dr. J. Dr. J was old. Let's see. Uh, 83 was the last time they won. Yeah, they've won three titles. Would that be the 82-83 season or the 83-84? Let's double check. I think it was 83 because the Celtics won in 84. Uh, it was the 82-83 season, yeah. 82-83. Who was on the team? Well, let's see. Mo Cheeks. Well, here, what's looking at Hall of Famers? Mo Cheeks, Dr. J, Bobby Jones, Moses Malone. The great Bobby Jones, not the golfer. Uh, they won that. They won. What was their record that year? Their record was 65-17. and 17. They beat the Lakers. Uh, where's that? There's no box score. Do I have to really have to look up to? No. Uh, Dr. J's introduction at the Philadelphia Spectrum, if you remember, it'd be like, at power forward from the University of Massachusetts, captain of the Philadelphia 76ers, Julius the Doctor. He had one of the great intros of all time. And I just remember that because I remember there was like an all-star game. I, mean, I was a real little kid at this point. But I remember like the doctor. He was Dr. J. He was a star. Mark McNamara was on that team, pride of Santa Clara University. No idea. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, Dr. J. How old was Dr. J? It was right? in his 11th year that year. He was born in 1950, so he'd been 30 going, 32 going on 33. He would have been 33, actually. 
His birthday was in February, so 1950, 30, yeah, 33. The doctor, he was a star, man. Dr. J was a star. Like, now the, he was the first. He was the first, and then Bird Magic, then Jordan. And then there's never been anything like Jordan since. Yeah. Kobe came close. Bronze up there. Kobe was never. Kobe, Kobe was no one liked Kobe. Kobe wasn't like it. Jordan was a. Jordan was a global phenom. Kobe was never outside of Los Angeles. People didn't even like him. I think LeBron's. Le- I th- you know it's amazing. It is, and your generation wants to love Kobe, and I, 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 I don't care either way. I'm just saying, Jordan was like a global superstar at the Olympics. Kobe Bryant outside of L.A., people didn't even like him. He could never even get a shoe to sell. I mean, you can't even compare. Like, people like you can compare games or whatever. But people want to put Kobe on a pedestal that was never there. Shaq was a bigger endorser of products than Kobe. Oh, I mean, Shaq endorses, endorses everything well, Back now. in the day, Shaq was Pepsi against Coke. Shaq was – Kobe was ne- – Kobe was never – you guys tried to make Kobe something that he wasn't. Now you have LeBron going for the uh... – He's gonna break. LeBron's a big deal. He's gonna break uh, Kareem's scoring t- scoring record this year. But what Dr. J, and then taking it, nothing was bigger and better for the league than than Bird Magic. No, Bird Magic took. I mean, that's ta- why winning time so good on Showtime. The 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 the, the NBA Finals was on tape delay back in the day. Yeah. they brought the NBA into prime time. Jordan took it to a global level. That's what I'm saying. We've never seen anything since. I mean, LeBron James is not global like Jordan. LeBron James is a big deal. But once again, LeBron James is another one of these. There's a lot of people that don't like LeBron James. Jordan was a phenom everybody loved, even the people that hated him. because But his greatness was so – it's hard to explain unless you live through it. How big Michael Jordan was. Michael Jordan was the most popular human being on the planet. If you want to see a, a good show about the the NBA, uh, watch Winning Time on uh, HBO Max. It's really good. But that's what it got teed up by. I mean, you got to remember, Jor, uh, Bird and Magic starred in the NCAA tournament, brought it to the NBA. They created what, you know, now the NBA got trucking. And here it comes. And luckily, there was a Jordan to pass the baton. There was no Jordan to pass the baton to. Who knows what would have happened? But they teed it up. They got that thing rolling, and then the rest was history. Uh, we have Eno Cyrus here. Okay. All right. I'm just saying. I'm- All right. Earlier today, before he hopped on a flight, uh, head to cover. Isn't it hard to believe? But, yeah. And I know some of our fans are like, God, you talk a lot about Dodgers and Padres. That's the chic series right now. That's the prime time. They've said it. Prime time. Not Philly and Atlanta. Philly and Atlanta could have been the prime time. They've the, the the networks are telling you, even though it's cable it's on, but they're making those decisions. What's the prime time game? Well, the prime time game is Dodgers Padres. Hard to believe. No, I agree one hundred percent it is. It's intriguing because proximity and they they built this rivalry up over the past few years, especially since Nando Fernando Tatis Jr. came on. Well, I'll tell you what. Everyone hates Manny Machado. Guardians get the win today, so I got one in the bank. My Phillies, it's just going to pain you 
to have a Guardians Phillies World Series, and I could be like, beat the Astros. Who? Cleveland. You don't think the no. Oh, okay. Shots fired, Tito Francona. They said you couldn't beat the Yankees. Well, you haven't beaten them yet. <laughs> um, but you know what I like about that series is that it's now becoming like real baseball. It's every day. Now they get on the plane, and they go back to Cleveland. And by the way, you're playing tomorrow. Yeah, we don't fight. have days off in baseball. I hate all these days off. I want them to play every day. You got a five-game series, play five straight days. You got a seven-game series, oh, but television, that's not my problem. You know what? TV will figure it out. They got TV trucks in every city, by the way. It'd be, I mean, the only thing is the if only Bob thing. Costas can't make the flight, then get somebody else. It, the only difference is if it's next round's L.A. and and Philly. Do you really want? I mean, that's that's six hours of flying. Who cares? They're in a private jet. I'm just saying that's. No, it's not about the players. What it is, it's everybody else going from city to city, hotel rooms. That's the thing. If you just said, okay, we got a seven-game series, you're going to go 2-3-2, right? And you're going to play every day? That's it, the, the problem is it's for television. It's for people. It's, it's not the players. Getting players on a bus to a, to a private jet to the airport to the next city is not. We do it every night. Guys are flying around in Major League Baseball, NBA, and hockey all year long. To Canada and back, too. Football once a week. But I, people need to understand this. NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball year-round. There's only like, what is it, that span of one or two days? Well, they're all playing on the same in day? In July where they don't play, no oh, one's yeah. playing. No one's flying, no one's doing it. Yeah, it's the all-star break. It's baseball. literally between baseball, basketball, and hockey. There's team, professional teams, always flying in the United States of America. Every every throughout the entire year, three sixty five. So, transporting athletes on private jets and buses to and from hotel rooms, arenas, fields, back to the jets, that's not a problem. We got that down. It's getting everybody from city to city and back and forth. That's the problem. All righty, Eno Saris, our national baseball columnist from the Athletic, right here on A's Cast Live. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Joining us on Ace Cast Live for his Friday appearance, it's the great Eno Saris, brought to you by Fieldwork Brewing. Fieldwork Brewing, they can send beer right to your doorstep. And I'm starting to think, you know, holiday time. <laughs> I mean, you talk about a great Christmas gift. You wonder, hey, what should I get them for Christmas? I'd say Fieldwork Brewing would be a great gift. Yep, yep. If anyone's looking for, for a gift for me, <laughs> I'll take a box of Fieldwork. <laughs> hey, if you're going to be my secret Santa, you know which way I'm going. Uh, <laughs> so you're about to get on a plane and head to San Diego for game three. Yeah, that's right. My my father-in-law has uh, season tickets down there in San Diego, and he can't go tonight. So uh, I was going out to San Diego anyway, changed my ticket to go a day earlier. So I'll be sitting in the stands. It'll be fun. Nice, nice. And, you know, these playoff games, uh, you, you know, it's like baseball from a standpoint of coverage has done a really good job, kind of in the model of like March Madness 
to where we're going to try and get a bunch of games on all day long. I don't care what the ratings are. We just want to saturate the market so at some point you are viewing these games, then highlights of our games are being played. It's a kind of a different strategy, but I absolutely love it and think it's great for the game. What do you think? Yeah, I like those four day, uh, four baseball day games. You know, uh, you know the the uh, the way that it's worked out. Uh, they, there is a little bit of controversy with these extra rest days and certain teams getting extra rest days that other teams are not getting. I think the American League got extra rest days. Uh, I think that they'll actually refine it and be even better with this next year. We have to remember, and it seems so long ago, but there was a lockout. You know, this year. <laughs> It seems like it was three years ago, but you know, because of that, the season started late and they have had to sort of squeeze together things. I expect there'd be more uh, four game days next postseason. And, you know, I, I, I want to say it's November 5th is game seven of the world series. If everything stays on track, but you know, since a bunch of these teams don't have retractable roofs, uh, who knows? I mean, There's we're talking a lot about of rain November. in the South. November in New York. Yeah. I mean, who knows what it's going to be? I mean, weather, let's say Philly keeps going. I mean, you start talking about November, you could have snow. So uh, strap it in there. We could have more days off than we think or that are coming. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why they have to have some off days baked in, uh, you know, just to be able to change things around. Like today we're seeing the guardians at 10 AM because they couldn't play last night. Um, so thankfully they have that flexibility. Yeah. Normally you would never see the Yankees as the first game. I mean, you would never, ever, they would always be for us like a, a five start for them. It would always be prime time, but you know what? It is what it is. And, uh, as we're recording this, the Yankees are up to nothing in, in game two, saw something yesterday on Twitter. I thought was right up your alley. I know you've talked a lot to us. And we're trying to educate the fans of where baseball is going. And you've done a great job educating us on the Los Angeles Dodgers and all the PhDs that they have and really the science, I mean, real science, that they are using to train their players and to prepare against other teams. And I saw this stuff on Twitter where you're talking about, you know, the days of everything's just uh, we're going to go matchups. Well, He's left-handed, so we're going to bring him in to face a left-handed hitter, and you're doing the splits and you're doing the matchups to where now you're taking a guy's style of pitching and going up against a guy's style of hitting, and by style, more as what's their bat path through the zone? Are they more up? Are they more flat, more level? So now we're using a different kind of way to evaluate matchups it isn't just the traditional left on left, right on right. It could be right on. It could be. It could be right on left, left on right. It, it's it's your style, and you're basically the way you play. I don't know. Would you call it your anatomy and how you play versus yeah. the other player? The anatomy and of your swing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it is. This is how this guy's body works. This is how that guy's body works, and it's not a good matchup. Yeah, we, you know, I think 1.0, we were like, hey, you know, this guy's three for 10 against that pitcher. And I think people quickly realized, oh, that's not very meaningful. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, what if he hits a homer now? What if, what if he's two for 10 and you're like, oh, he's bad against this pitcher. And then the third one is a homer. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's too much of a small sample size. So we went from that to larger matchups. We were like, oh, righty, righty, lefty, lefty, you know, that sort of stuff. 
Um, and now we're trying to go even past that. And so we saw a glimpse of it from uh, Dave Roberts the other night when he said that uh, he br- he took out uh, Cody Bellinger um, to go to uh, Austin Hedges. No, Austin Reeves. What's his name? What's his name? I don't remember. Austin, <laughs> Austin Barnes. Austin Barnes. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. There's. I have a 30-team basketball league going. That's it's messing my mind. Uh, so he went to Austin Barnes with uh, with a different swing path. That you know, it's hater. So it is lefty righty versus Cody Bellinger, who's lefty lefty. But there's also Cody Bellinger's extreme uppercut swing and Austin Barnes's flatter swing. Um, I saw another example of it that might be a little bit more along these lines. The Astros uh, had. Abreu in the game, Brian Abreu, and he's a pretty nasty reliever for them. He he'd thrown he hadn't thrown too many pitches. He'd faced three guys. He's a righty. Ty France is coming up. He's a righty. You'd figure here's a nasty reliever. Just uh, let him play against Ty France. And uh, the Astros brought in Rafael Montero, uh, another righty, but with totally different stuff uh, to face Ty France. And I think Ty France has that level swing. Um, and maybe they saw something about Montero's changeup and the sinker that they really liked, you know, righty, righty sinkers, uh, you know, in that might be something that a flat swing can't really hit. You know, you think about a righty, righty sinker that dives down, uh, you know, a golf swing would hit that. Right. Uh, but a flat swing would swing over the top of that. So there's an example of taking one righty pitcher and replacing it with another righty pitcher where you think the shapes of the pitches, uh, are a better matchup for you against the shape of that hitter swing. And I know that teams are doing this. They're modeling shapes and they're trying to think of this in a 3D space where the shape of the the, the batter swing and the shape of the pitch coming in, how they interact. Well, and it gets back to, I remember when we asked you and I asked Dave Stewart about this, what the hell is Chris Bassett talking about when he says that some teams, and he said the Mets have stuff that the A's don't help players get better I mean, this is kind of an example. I mean, there's only so many things you can do with a human being. I mean, there's only so many times we can take batting practice or go down to a bullpen and work on something, (laughs) right? So there's other ways to figure out matchups, and this would take a lot of money because somebody's got to study that. Somebody's got to know what they're looking at. Somebody's got to know how to study it, and somebody's got to know how to be able to present the data that someone like the manager can use to then implement on the field. This is going to take manpower. Manpower means extra salaries. And we all know if you work in business, we're now putting in retirement, health, yeah. all these different packages. There's, a, I mean, there's another aspect to it. Cheap. Yeah, there's another aspect to it beyond that is just it's so much data. If you are looking at uh, the raw Hawkeye feed, and Hawkeye is the tracking machine that's looking at everything that's happening on the field. If you use the raw feed of the data that it creates, you actually have to have supercomputers. You actually have to have really big computers that are really expensive to just bring it all in because it's a ton of data. You know that they track, like if a piece of paper is floating through the, the through the, the, the video screen, like that's in there. So like, you know, the umpires, the umpires, when they're walking around, that's all in there. So, like, yeah. you know, the raw data is just so much. If you think about it, just every second of a game, it's tracking everybody on the field. Um, and so, have you actually seen what it looks like? 
No, but I, I've had it explained to me like uh, you know we're, we're talking about it's like terabytes on the on the millisecond. It's it's so much data, and I just know that a lot of teams that don't have the computing power, like the A's, have decided we'll take up more of the pre-chewed data. You know, we'll take more of the stuff you can see on Savant. Like when I go and do research, I'm not I'm not tapping into the full feed. I go on Savant, yeah. I click a couple boxes, and I get what I want out of it. You know, so they're so, using. So let, let, let's the- break it. Let's break it down for the fans. So basically, we we developed and we get thrown stat cast at us all the time, right? Uh-huh. And so you go to Baseball Savant. And so every single time, let's just say uh, Ken Waldachuk throws a pitch, it's going to tell us spin, it's going to tell us vertical, it's going to tell us horizontal, it's going to tell us miles per hour, it's going to give us all these different things that where it was, it does all that. So that's all coming from, it used to be track, man, but baseball got in the business with Hawkeye. Hawkeye was first developed in sports for uh, tennis. And then baseball decided to use it. So all this data is coming in. How do you in real time or even like just after the game, do you have any idea like I only want a little bit of this data. So how do I grab that out of the masses? Yeah, that's I mean, that's the thing. Like I can't see Ken Waldachuk stuff in real time because I, I'm not I'm not on the, the I'm not on the fire hose, you know, that's coming through. And the problem is there have to make some adjustments. Like, you know, sometimes the camera's off or, you know, sometimes a piece of paper goes flying by when the ball's flying by. And all of a sudden it says that the pitch went like, you know, 500 feet in the air. You know, And so or, like, or, or that piece of paper was 92 miles an hour and they now want to scout it and sign it. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, so, uh, you know, at Statcast they do a really great job. I, the next day can go in and it's very clean and they've cleaned up any mistakes that would have been there. They've washed the data, quote unquote, it's, it's in a good, good, in a good spot. And, uh, and I can query it and I can figure out what I want, what I want to figure out. Teams that are have the direct fire hose are seeing this stuff in real time and they're doing the washing as it's coming in. They've found ways to kind of have algorithms that, oh, spot the out. Oh, that can't be right. That can't be right. Clean it up, clean it up, clean it up. Uh, and they're trying to do it uh, faster. So that requires a lot of computing power. It's very expensive. So, you know, the, the teams that have invested a lot in that computing power, they have an advantage. And they and the, the advantage that they have is they can break down. So right now we're starting to see some stuff come out from Savant, right? Where they're like, hey, we're going to do bat tracking. So they just came out with bat speed where that's independent of, of anything else, where it's just the speed of the bat going through the zone. And they they've washed that and they've they've done the research and they've they, they've created that stat. And so, the, you know, some teams will be able to access that stat. But if you were had direct access to the full Hawkeye feed, your team already had that stat. You know, you've already you've already had that for two, three years. By the way, I went over here to my supercomputer where I I track all the data on my special Ace Cast Live computer, and it says Cody Bellinger sucks. So that's what, <laughs> so you that's why you take him out. <laughs> like what? What guy was the MVP? We're talking about you're giving all this money to Mookie Betts. You're gonna have to have money for he can't. You know, he went from MVP to literally can't play anymore. Like, what happened? Yeah. You know, he has a hole in his swing about high in the zone. Um, but, you know, guys like Kyle Schwarber, you know, have fixed that. That sort of hole. He has a very similar swing to Kyle Schwarber. But I've talked to him and he, you know, like I talked to Kyle Schwarber the other day. And he said, you know, I chopping wood is not a good cue because that's something that they tell little leaguers to like, 
you know, chop wood to get the bat to the to the zone faster. Uh, he's like, that's not a good cue for most major leaguers, but I have an extreme uppercut swing. So I tell myself chop wood and I get there faster. And it's good to, to that's a sort of a good cue for me to get high pitches. I've heard that exact same thing from Cody Bellinger. So, you know, Cody Bellinger has good coaches. He has a good team that knows what they're doing. And somehow he's not been able to cover this hole. And to me, he just looks super messed up. Like I, I, like, I think he has like two or three different swings and he never knows when to use each one. And I think he needs, he might need a fresh voice, might need a fresh organization. I, I think it's still in there somewhere because he still has a pretty good eye at the plate and he can still hit for power. There's also the question of just how much that shoulder injury sap his power. I mean, he's so good on defense. The other night when he turned totally around on the uh, Gradall, who hit that? Gradall was on the mound. He kind of went back, turned back yeah, around. That, and went, that, that was a super athletic catch. Not everybody. Can't believe he came up as a first baseman. Huh? Yeah, I mean, you talk about the versatility. If you can put him anywhere in the outfield, he can play first. I mean, if he was right-handed, he's so athletic. He'd be that guy that could play any position. That's right. Uh, very, very impressive. Uh, one thing that is huge, and we knew it would be, especially at this time of the year, but how it's playing out is fascinating, is bullpens, especially in this series between the Padres and the Dodgers. The Padres' bullpen has been unhittable. I mean, they, they've given up, what, one hit or whatever it is? Then you look at how good the Dodgers have been. I mean, what, what do you think so far about bullpen usage? Yeah, there's an interesting thing there going on between the Padres and Dodgers. The Dodgers don't have a closer, really, uh, and they're just mixing and matching uh, to get there. Uh, they have two really good relievers in Evan Phillips and Alec Vesia. Those those guys are lefty-righty. They're both probably top 10, top 15 type relievers on the full season. Uh, but after that, you know, Gradwell throws hard, but you can make contact off him. And so, you know, uh, there is some question there. And then Chris Martin never walks a guy, but he's not that great. So really what they've done is take Alex Vesia and Evan Phillips to get the best batters out in the, in the seventh and eighth innings. And then they'll get the rest of the outs however they need to. You've seen something similar in Philadelphia where Sir Anthony Dominguez and Jose Alvarado are their best pitchers. They have Zach Eflin. They have some other guys. Uh, but they really need – uh, those two guys to be to get most of their outs and especially the outs against the best hitters. The Padres are are go a little bit more going it like normally where Hader is the is the closer. But the reason that it's working for them is because of the secret genius of Robert Suarez, Luis Garcia, and uh, Pierce Johnson. Pierce Johnson is just an excellent curveball, and Luis Garcia and Robert Suarez throw 100 miles an hour from each side of. Uh, of the bull of the of the bullpen of the mound so you know they're really they're just really good and really deep so they can still use hater as a as an extra reliever but it is amazing to me that some of these bullpens were the best in baseball and you get to october and you're like this bullpen was one of the best in baseball they, they who do i trust i feel like the managers are looking at their bullpens being like i don't know if i trust anyone it's a, it's a long season we've been using our relievers really hard and that's what i see in october sometimes is yeah, they're all gassed and tired, and you're trying to get you know four outs from them in a playoff game. Well, I I said this year was the tipping point. Like no September call ups, yeah. no help. You're now running these guys hard for six months, six months, and now you're in the postseason. Now we're month seven. So as you mentioned earlier, lockout, quick spring, run them hard for six months. Who's healthy? Who's got some gas left? And now you're in that last month. 
I mean, that's I, – I don't know what – I don't know in the end what the verdict will be, but as you said, I mean, guys are out of gas. So – and I think every single time I see a manager goes out there in the third or fourth inning to take their pitcher out, I go, oh, boy. This is going to be three and a half to four hours, and who the hell knows from here? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we used to have it where, you know, the, the stars went six and you had to get three from the bullpen. Now it's four and a half and four and a half. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's just getting harder on those relievers. And, you know, we how many times have you seen, like, the, you know, the in, the Guardians today, when they get to the end of this game, are they going to try and get six outs from Emmanuel Classe, you know? Uh, and... <laughs> And like, how's that going to feel for Class A after after a long season of pitching? So, uh, that's that's the kind of thing that we used to hear laughing. But you know, somebody like Hater or somebody's going to get six outs. I think Sir Anthony Dominguez the other day got six outs for the Phillies. I mean, he did it in eighteen pitches, so he was pretty efficient. But we're asking a lot of relievers, and there is going to be, you know, there is going to be some consequences to that. Well, and and you just look at how these bullpens. I mean, you can go around the league. And how these guys, how you found these guys, how you sign these guys. You mentioned Suarez is an interesting story. I mean, there's all the kinds of guys. This guy was DFA'd here. This guy wasn't given a chance. I mean, these. there's no rhyme or reason how you build your bullpen, let alone to be successful in the regular season to where you are now. Yeah, and that's why, you know, I have that stuff number. Uh, people are trying to uh, find value, you know, on waiver claims. Evan Phillips for the Dodgers, they're probably their best reliever was a was a waiver claim from the Rays. And I know of an analyst and another team that has like a stuff number like I do, who said that he really wanted Evan Phillips and he was really mad that the Dodgers claimed him. So, you know, there is this sort of like rabid, you know, ooh, who's DFA'd, who's going on? And, and part of that, I think, is getting fresh arms because – you might be able to get a guy who's DFA to keep him in the minors, keep his pitch count low, and then he's fresher in the in the in the postseason. That's definitely something the Rays do. If you look at the Rays acquisitions, they are always releasing relievers, picking them up, and that's one way they got around this whole option thing, where you had a limit on how many how many times you could option a guy to the minor leagues. Uh, this year, the Rays were like, okay, fine, we'll just DFA him and get another one. That's amazing. Even if I like a guy, I'm just gonna DFA and get another one. Yeah. It's like fast. It's like fast food. Ah, I just throw that out. Now I'm going to Jack in a box. I'll get another one. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're a little mad that they lost Evan Phillips, but they, how many guys have they picked up? Jason Adam, I think, was, you know, one of their best relievers at the end of the season. He was, I think, a, a waiver pickup. So they're just like, we can find the next one. Don't worry about it. So the whole Joe Musgrove controversy, the shiny ears. <laughs> we brought out on this show, I went to, I went into my trunk because, of course, I have sunscreen. For, for golf. I went and got my sunscreen. I got this. I have the spray and the lotion. And we, and then we're like, and, and I was thinking about you. I don't know if you saw night after the game when they were breaking it down on MLB tonight, when they're going the spin on the curveball, and they're going over the, the revolution of the ball. Like we're talking like one more. Yeah. What were you making of? I mean, how big of a deal was this Joe Musgrove? I mean, because you got you got a lot of data with Musgrove because you got first half, second half, last four starts, this start. He's kind of the, these 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 numbers, especially the spin rates, are all over the board for him. Yeah, yeah. 
one thing that's really important that I, this is sort of where I start is, you know, we had enforcement and there were a lot of pitchers that dropped precipitously and have come back since then, you know, to me, that's kind of a red flag. You see, oh, this guy dropped 200, 300 RPM, and now he's back up 200. Like that's okay. He figured something out, right? It's pretty obvious. We see it. He never dropped after the, you know, after the enforcement. So you could say he just kept cheating. It's possible, but we have an established baseline that survived through enforcement. So that's one thing. Then another thing is spin rates go up and down from start to start. There are there are normal variations in spin. Uh, another thing is spin rate goes up with velocity. So Joe Musgrove was throwing harder in that game. Yeah, it's a playoff game. It's one of the it's the biggest playoff game of his life. You know, like yeah. he's going to be throwing harder. Pumped up. Spin rates go up with velo. So if you look at all of that, if you adjust for his velo, there was nothing weird about his forcing. It was absolutely right in line with the rest of his starts that year. There was, I can say pretty confidently, there was nothing strange about his forcing. Now his slider. The slider was up more 200. Like 100 on a, on a forcing, I don't even think about that. 100 RPM, that's just up and down. His slider was up like 250 almost. That's like, that gets your attention a little bit. But now you have to assume, A, he cheated only on a slider, which is tough to do because you could be tipping, right? If you cheat a certain way only on one pitch, he also threw the slider less than he normally does. So you're going to cheat on a pitch, one pitch, and not throw it very much? That's weird. Uh, and then the yeah. third thing is sliders uh, are more volatile. So they're the standard deviation, the, 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 the changes that they see in spin from game to game are higher. Breaking ball spin is more volatile. So... You know, I put all that together and I say, you can't prove a negative. I can't prove that he didn't do it. But, uh, oh, looks like my lift is arriving soon. Uh, I can't prove that he didn't do it. But I can I could say that I lean towards he didn't do it. You know, the, the, right. the pattern isn't there. You got to get out of here? I, I got a lift, yep. Yeah, you got to go to a playoff game. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Go enjoy. Enjoy that. Uh, enjoy the stay down in San Diego. And we will talk to you next week, my friend. That's right. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. The great Eno Saris had to get on a flight. That's why we had to talk to him early. Uh, let's call the new Hall of Famer. He's already a Hall of Famer. But my God, the the people that are in the San Jose Sports Hall of Fame, it's incredible. Mark Spitz. You look at Ronnie Lott. I mean, you're talking about some who's who. Do we have the new – he's already a Hall of Famer, but he's now just more of a Hall of Famer. The great Sam Peraro, former head coach of San Jose State <laughs> Baseball, joins us. Coach, how are you? Mr. Towney, what are you up to, man? Great to, great to hear from you again. Well, I'm thinking, you know, it's big to be in San Jose State's Hall of Fame. You're at the, well, How many Hall of Fames are you in right now? You know – I, 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 I'm in a, I'm in a couple. All right. And, uh, so yeah, you're in a, yeah, couple. in a couple, you're in a couple hall of fames, but yes, you're sir. born, raised San Jose. You went to San Jose state. You played ball at San Jose state. Uh, you're coaching here in San Jose mission college, San Jose state. I mean, 
for you to now to go into the San Jose Sports Hall of Fame with this incredible amount of people that are in it already, as someone who's from this city, what does that mean to you? Well, you know, uh, Chris, that's a great question. And um, it does mean a lot to me. I, I, I'm very honored to be amongst some of those people that have gone in before me. And um, no, I, I'm not going to lie to you and, and, and uh, mislead you on that. It, it does mean a lot to me. And it means a lot, you know, to, you know, my family and, and friends and certainly, you know, players of mine like yourself, coaches that I've had, that I've been involved with. Um, because what it basically, here's what, what it gives me an opportunity to do, Chris, is it gives me a chance to thank those people, you know, thank those people that put me in that situation. So when you get, you know, I'm 70 years old now. So you look at these things a little differently. You don't look at it as, Hey, that's great for Sam. It's great for the opportunity for me to thank a lot of people. And I'm going to do that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at just all the, all the greats that are in this hall of fame. And, you know, you take someone like Owen Nolan, who, I mean, obviously he's from Canada. He didn't grow up here. So there's going to be people that are in this hall of fame that have just starred in the area. I just think coach is different from somebody who was born and raised here. I mean, this is your city's, Hall of Fame. It just seems different for me. Well, and and you're right. It it, it because it is. You know, uh, I've lived here all my life, um, and so uh, it it's it's kind of like when I'm uh, when I'm uh, dead and gone. It's kind of like you know, f- friends and family can stop by there and they say, "Oh, there's there's Sam," and. Uh, and and uh, you're kind of like in perpetuity, you're part of this group, you're part of this club uh, in perpetuity. They can't uh, take it away from you. So uh, it, it means a lot to me. And I'm, I'm greatly, greatly honored by it, Chris. Now that you've had time over the years to sit back and think about it, you know, so many times people are worried about as coaches, you know, how do the, do the players love me? And am I buddies with all the friends? Am I friends with all these guys? <laughs> Versus you got to do what's right. You got to do what's right. The kids need to go to school. They need to get educated. You need to win games. But you, you need to have fundamentals in place to make sure that you're preparing these players for the rest of their lives, knowing that you did that, is it easy for you to look in the mirror and go to sleep at night? Well, you know, Chris, in coaching, um, it's a complex. It's a complex uh, profession. It's very complex because to stay, uh, especially in Division One, to stay on the job, you do have to have a level of success in terms of wins and losses, but that can't be the only, only thing that you, you focus on. And, and in my situation, I did in fact, try to, um, you know, put a forum together. So guys could in fact get a degree 
could be successful, could have uh, relationships with their teammates, um, have have a successful experience in life. And, and, you know, the thing about it in coaching, Chris, here again, sometimes you can't even live up to those standards you set. I tried to set high standards for the players, and I wish I could have been, you know, a better at, you know, doing all those things myself. So at the end of the day, hey, I was going to try to try to get these guys to be good at whatever they were good at, get your degree, and hopefully they could use that experience to be successful in their own lives, like you have. You've gone ahead and forged a great career in in um, in radio and TV. Um, there are other players that I look at that have gone on in different, you know, whether it's teaching, coaching, business. Um, they've gone on and been successful in, in their lives. And uh, I like to hope that I played a small part in that. Well, the, the one thing that I, I, I think about you, and hopefully it's changed in, in modern times uh, about kids going to class and doing what they need to do. I, and I'm not going to mention which schools but there were schools that we played against, nationally ranked. Even at times we were nationally ranked. But their players didn't go to school. Their players didn't have curfews. I mean, they're basically like minor league teams. They didn't – I mean, and we all knew it. I mean, it's just they were different yeah. than we were because it meant a lot to you to have your kids graduate. And pretty much just about everybody that stayed there and played for you and who didn't leave early – guys leave early because of draft and certain things – but. The majority of your players graduated with a degree. So we can talk about all your wins. We can talk about going to the College World Series and playing for the national championship. I think, personally, the number one thing about your career, and I hope somebody brings it up, is your graduation rate. Because your graduation rate amongst your peers of coaches was second to none. Well, that's nice of you to say that, Chris. And, and you've said that several times on the air and I know you mean that and it did mean a lot to us and that is why we paid you know as coaches you know it, it was always difficult you know to make guys <laughs> go to study hall um you know on a road trip yeah. on an airplane you know uh, in Hawaii you know, have study. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean you know you 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 rather say hey fellas uh, don't worry about that you know, enjoy, enjoy, uh, you know, you had a good trip, a road trip, enjoy yourself. But, you know, making guys do things they didn't like to do at times, we knew that that was going to be beneficial for them. So I, I, I always felt that making guys do stuff they didn't like to do, whether it was at practice, whether it was in school, whether it was, uh, you know, behavior things, that it would it would benefit them at some point in their lives, and I believe in that. See, so that's not phony. It's not a phony deal. It's something I really believe in. I didn't judge other programs. You know, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't one that said, "Well, you know, these guys, you know, they all they care about is this." Because I respected everybody. Um, I had great respect for all the teams we played, all the coaches that coached all the great players that we went up against. I mean, you, you know, you probably have a relationship with Mark Kotze. Uh, Mark Kotze was a tremendous player, a classy player. 
I can remember the all league meeting with him and, 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 you know, speaking on his behalf saying, Hey, this guy, this guy is special. (laughs) And (laughs) you know what I mean? So I, 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 I didn't, um, I didn't judge anybody. Uh, I judged myself and I judged whether or not I presented a good forum for our players so they could, they can move forward and, and be successful. Yeah, I remember my senior year when I was uh, team captain with Dave Schultz and Eric Pitt, and we were in Hawaii, and we had all those junior college transfers in, and they were just moaning about study hall <laughs> in Hawaii. They couldn't believe. Let me ask you this, question. Let me ask you this, Coach. If Cal State Fullerton went to Hawaii, do you think Phil Nevin or Mark Kotze would have done any study hall while in Hawaii? You know, there again, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I really, there again, I try not to worry about that. Um, I'll answer that question. Uh, I, Hell no, they wouldn't have spent any time in study hall. <laughs> well, yeah, you can say that. <laughs> I, you know, uh, yeah, no, no, Chris, I'm I'm sure it, 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 you know, as a player, I mean, I know on spring break, we spent one time, Chris, in 2002, our spring break uh, was, uh, it, you know, it, it had to do a relationship with playing at Hawaii. And then we stayed there for a tournament. We, we ended up playing uh, seven games in a tournament after we played the three league games. And they were on spring break. And I can remember uh, we had a couple of captains who had, I had given them the itinerary before we left. And they came up to me and they said, Coach, you know, we're on spring break. And you have some curfews here. And... And uh, you have us uh, doing uh, uh, some study hall during some of the afternoons. And we, we're going to request that you, uh, you know, maybe cut us a little bit more slack. And to make a long story short, uh, I told them, I said, well, let's see how we do in uh, the games. And if, if it looks like we're alert and we're prepared and we're doing okay, I'll, I'll work with you. I'll, I'll work with you. And as it turned out, we won. Uh, we won nine of ten. We won two of three in the league games, and then we ended up going seven and zero in the tournament. Won the tournament, and we were nationally ranking. That was a really good team. But I, I, I think in the middle of that trip, I did give them some leeway and curfew, and I think I might have even cut out the study hall the last two days. So I did. I did relent to that. And because uh, I trusted the guys, you know, you're, you're you're always defined by winning and by your best team. And I'm not sure if you'll look back and say that the College World Series team was your best team, but they were definitely your most successful. And mm-hmm. you know, people need to realize, you know, because we we get so used to watching college basketball in the tournament. We get so used to college football and the bowl games, and they became BCS championship games. Now it's just a championship game. But the College World Series is the national championship. And you got eight teams in there, and it's it's in Omaha, Nebraska, and it's very, very special. When you look back, and I know we just honored that team recently, and I got to go to the dinner with my best friend, Dean Matson, who was one of your coaches, yeah. a former player for you. Uh, just knowing how special – that team was that run. What did that yeah. team and that run mean to you in your career? And it's obviously helping you getting into this Hall of Fame. Well, let's put it this way. I'm in my office right now as I'm talking to you. And 
as I'm in my office, I'm looking at this uh, at this uh, poster. And okay, so Clemson, <clears throat> Clemson, then there, the great Jack Leggett, Hall of Fame coach, Florida State, the great Mike Martin, all-time winner, LSU, Skip Bertman, uh, SC with under Mike Gillespie, Stanford under the great Mark Marquis, Texas, Augie Garrido. Okay, now think about the caliber of coaches uh, that I just kind of went through, Chris. These guys are legendary. They are uh, all Hall of Fame coaches. So my team, my team gave me an opportunity to be on the same poster with these guys. Okay. So that's what it means to me is I'm in this type of company that, uh, you know, I'm not sure I belong to be on that uh, with those guys because these were all uh, elite uh, people that they impacted their players tremendously. They, they, they brought them to different levels, not only on the field, but in their lives. So to be part of that, Chris, um, obviously it's very, uh, very humbling. Let's just use that word. Well, you know, I always like to talk to you about, you know, normally when we bring you on here, we're, we're talking about baseball uh, that's happening right now because obviously you still study today's game. But you grew mm -hmm. up in the Bay Area, and there were teams that you loved. We're going to be honoring the 1973 Oakland A's World Series team. You watched 72, 73, 74. You know all about the players, Dick Williams, mm -hmm. Charlie Finley. I mean, I know we're, we're honoring 73, but when you look back at that time, when, you, when you're a young guy – and you're watching those A's teams, and they win three straight World Series. What was that like? Well, my college roommate at that time was Charlie Finley's uh, intern. So my my uh, my roommate, one of my roommates at that time, and it's, it was the '73. So when they played the Mets, so he was the intern for Charlie Finley. So Steve would come home at night, and of course I'd pick his brain. Uh, this is. Uh, you know, the Mets had a great uh, pitching staff, Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman. And, uh, you know, they got into that series beating the Reds, and then they played the A's. And that went seven games. And the A's uh, had to come back and win the last two. So I was very familiar with that team because my roommate always kept me abreast of what was going on. Now, I'm a believer in this, Chris. If, if they would have kept Catfish Hunter, uh, you know, Catfish uh, – left after the 74 uh, championship to be a free agent and he signed with the Yankees. I'm convinced if Hunter stays with the A's, they win at least one more and maybe two more. They might have run off five in a row. So as if three wasn't enough of a miracle, I think Hunter would have kept them going at least one or maybe two more years. And to think that Charlie Finley was doing all this with a rotary phone from Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 great story my roommate shares is one of his jobs was when Finley held a staff meeting when he actually was in Oakland. You know, he, like you said, he ran a lot of his business out of Chicago. Well, occasionally he would be there. It was a small staff. 
Okay, his front office was comprised of like four or five people. His uh, <laughs> couple of couple of brothers, cousins. Steve's job, my roommate's job, was to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and get everybody a bucket of chicken. So Finley made those guys eat chicken whether they liked it or not. So Steve would go down and get a bucket of chicken for everybody, and the meeting would commence, and there we go. So uh, there again, Finley was brilliant, uh, Chris, in a lot of ways. You know, he signed a lot of those guys himself, whether it was Vita Blue, whether it was Catfish Hunter, Rick Mundy. Yeah, he had some really good scouts. He really did. But he's the guy that signed those folks. So he never really gets credit. He's a little eccentric, right? That's what people go, Finley was just, he was, and he was tight as hell. He was, he didn't give out great contracts, but man, he knew talent when he saw it. Yeah. And, and keeping something together, like, I mean, just, just to sustain winning. I mean, that's one thing that, I mean, asking you, I mean, you understand, I mean, all the different years that's, you know, it's like, Hey, you have a great year. Yeah. No one cares. Do it again next year. And then the next year and the next year, just yeah. how tough is that when you build a program or Billy beans trying to build an organization? I mean, essentially a baseball program, football program, you name it in college, you're the CEO of that program and you got to do it year after year after year. You got kids that are constantly coming in, coming out. It's not easy to do. No, no, of course not. And, you know, when you think back there again, just think back to the A's. Back then, they didn't have the free agency, right? So, you know, Finley had those guys locked down, so to speak, right? And he kept those. You think about it. Bando was at third. Campanaris at short. Dick Green at second. You know, they had Rudy in left, Reggie in right. Uh, they had Ray Fossey, Dave Duncan. They had Hunter. They had Holtzman. They had uh, Vita Blue. They had John Blue Monodum. They had Raleigh Fingers. All those guys were with that organization for a good number of years. And uh, not until free agency did, uh, you know, Hunter was the first guy. And then, of course, they lost Jackson to the Yankees. Uh, they lost, uh, uh, you know, Joe Rudy, I think, to the Angels. And, uh, you know, uh, Vita stayed. He kept, he, he kept Vita you know, for a number of years after that. But let me tell you, that, that was a fun team to watch. You could always get a ticket, Chris, um, even though they were great. Shit, I mean, you could still get them. You can go see a ball game without any problem. Still can, Coach. If you ever need my tickets, let me know. <laughs> well, you always help me. You always get me tickets when I, when I need it, so I appreciate that. But, you know, I, I thought Kotze did a great – I'm going to tell you something. I thought Kotze did a great job with that team this year. I thought he did a great job. Yeah, uh, 102 losses, and, and he, he, ha he kept it together. Come on. Yeah, it's not easy to do, right? And He had, he had, 60, oh, he had 64 different players. I know, I know, and 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 you know, I followed them very close, and I pulled for them because there again, I'm pulling for Kotsi and uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, was Altredi on his staff? Yeah. Or uh, yeah, I like Mike Altredi, um, and uh, you know, the in vo vote, I was so glad it ended for him the way it did. <laughs> he hits a home run in his last at bat. Can you believe that? Yeah. And and uh, he's a winning guy. He'll, hopefully he's going to manage someday, Chris. 
Yeah, that's the plan. I, I, I hope he stays in our system. All right, Commander Cody, my producer, what do you want to ask him? Uh, Coach, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. But I do want to ask you this. Uh, it popped in my head when you and Chris were discussing this. How the hell was Chris a captain on the baseball team? That's a good question. Well, well, first of all, that's that's a great question. But no, Chris, you know, Chris had a unique talent. Okay, you know what that talent was? He could go out on the field and be serious when he needed to be, and he also had a really good sense of humor. And the guys really liked him, and we understood that, and we felt he would be good in that particular role and he didn't let us down so he had that combination of, of when he's on the field he was all business now here off the field uh the guys gravitated to him because of his his sense of humor so that's why we made him a captain and he did a great job for him the good old days coach the good old days when we were young <laughs> well like i said i look back on it now and i i have great pride in all those guys when i see those guys and you know you mentioned dean Matson, and dean was a a great player for me and he served us well what a loyal guy i had two great guys in doug, doug thurman and yeah. dean Matson, who got, I, I tell you what it doesn't get any better than that that's as good as it gets when you're a head coach and you have those two guys and i love those guys and uh, to this day, I would do anything for him, just like you. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to be there for when you get inducted, and it's going to be uh, yeah. it's going to be an honor to be there because well, I just know well, you are San Jose. Yeah. San Jose, you know, it's where you're born, it's where you're raised, it's where you went to school, it's where you got married, it's where you raised your children. The city means a lot, and to be in the city sports hall of fame is a really big deal. Well. Thank you, Chris. It does. It is a big deal for me. And, I'm, you know, we'll have a good time that evening. We'll make sure we in, uh, enjoy uh, each other's company and, and uh, we'll, we'll enjoy it. Believe me. So th I'm, I'll be honored that you guys are there. Believe me. Well, I, I say it all the time. I mean, I owe so much to you, my adult life, you know, my education, where I met my wife, it's where I've had my kids, my career. All of this does not happen for me if it wasn't for you. That's how powerful coaching really can be you change people's lives it goes both ways it goes both ways um the players change your life too and so it, it's just not one one-sided on that and uh so when you see the players you always see them as they they were when they played and so uh but the relationships are different so you know i always when i see a player i thank them number one number two it's like hey what can i do for you you know what can i do for them now right they did a lot for me so what can i do for them so we'll we'll touch up on that uh you know that evening and uh we'll, we'll enjoy that chris well coach i love you congratulations and i can't thank you i love you too. i can't wait to be there and i know there's a big thing for your family and i wouldn't miss it for the world I appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to seeing you. And thanks for having me on. It's always great to be able to talk. Uh, you always ask great questions, and, and I'm honored to be on the show. Keep up the good work. All right, Coach. I'll be in touch. All right, buddy. Take care now. The great Sam Perraro, now San Jose Sports Hall of Famer. I mean, he's going with Doug Cosby. You might be a little young. Doug Cosby was a great tight end type of wide receiver for the Cowboys back in the day. He was Roger. He was one of Roger Staubach's main target. I he obviously he went to where did he go to high school? I think, yeah, let me 
see. Let me see. Doug Cosby. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Cowboy Greg. I usually know a lot of guys, but no, I never heard that name. Never heard of Doug Cosby. All right, uh, I'm on their. Help me out here. Why is this not? Is this me or is it the their website? Let's see. I'll I'll Google search it. Uh, St. Francis. Okay. Did he go? Did he play at St. Mary's? Uh, Santa Clara. Santa Clara. All right. So there you go. But the 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 names in this Hall of Fame, like I said, when you when you put together a Hall of Fame like this, you've got big time names. And as I mentioned, NFL Hall of Famer. I think we all think Ronnie Lott is a big deal. George Seifert, James Jones, San Jose State, great. Julie Inkster, one of the great golfers. Mark Langston, Dr. Harry Edwards, Nabokov, Evgeny Nabokov. Sharks opener tonight. I'll be there. Pat Hurst, the great golfer. Mark Marquez, who was a legend uh, at Stanford. Dwight Clark. Ken Caminiti. Dwight Clark, uh, the great Ken Caminiti, who's also San Jose State Spartan. Uh, Doug Wilson's in here. Doug Wilson, I tore out the tank. Let's see. Jeff Garcia, another uh, great San Jose State Spartan. Pride of Gilroy. John Carlos, one of the great Olympians from the 72 Olympics. I don't know if he won gold or silver. Uh, Dick Vermeil. NFL Hall of Famer. San Jose State, Spartan football player. NFL Hall, Owen Nolan. Gary Cunningham, longtime coach, San Jose State uh, player. Frankie Albert of the 49ers. Tara, Tara Vandiver, yeah. Greatest female coach. Willie T. Ribs, the NASCAR driver. Brandy Chastain. How about Roger Malpe was great on the PGA Tour and then on NBC for all the, I think this might be his last year on NBC. Steve Barkowski, uh, quarterback. Dan Pastorini, quarterback. Rudy Galindo, the uh, skater. Chrissy Yamaguchi. I said got Bruce Jenner. Yeah, I knew. I remember that one. Archer's Urbay. Yeah, we'll really go back to Sharks history here. I mean, seriously, there's some big-time names in this. Mark Spitz, who won how many goals? I ended up being like a late one, eight in that one Olympics. Yeah. Brian Botano, the greatest, uh, one of the great skaters of all time. Jennifer Azey was just a baller for Stanford. She's with the, uh, I think she works with the Las Vegas Aces now. Brent Jones, my buddy Brent Jones from Leland yeah. High School here in the South Bay where my wife went to. Uh, Ken Venturi, the great golfer. Did he go to San Jose State? Yeah, he went to San Jose State. Is that Pat Tillman? Pat, Pat Tillman's from the South Bay? John Brody. Kurt Rambis. Uh, Kurt Rambis of Santa Clara. Let's see. Carney uh, Lansford. Craig Morton, who played for the Cowboys. Carney Lansford, the great A. Dave Rigetti. I know him as Rags. Uh, great coach at uh, Stanford. Won a couple Rose Bowls, and then what he did with the Broncos, and then at San Jose State, John Ralston. John John and Jack Elway. <laughs> John and Jack. This is fun. Patty Sheehan was a great golfer. Did she go to San Jose State? Or she just. Yep, she went to San Jose State. Nola's getting pulled by the Bill way. Walsh, the greatest football coach of all time. Debbie Thomas, the uh, ice skater. Pablo Morales, the great Olympian. Bill Walsh over Bill Belichick, huh? Any day of the week. I'm just looking at Super Bowl rings. Well, Bill Walsh started a lot later. True. Tommy Smith. Um, how many has he won without Tom Brady? Uh, that'd be zero. Oh, okay. Just checking. Tommy Smith, of course, from the 72 Olympics. Uh, Uchida, Coach Uchida, the great judo championship. 
Uh, he won, what, 30? You realize San Jose State under this guy won, like, 30 judo national championships? It's pretty good. Jim Plunkett, the pride of James Lick High School. I was at James Lick High School last night at a high school football game my uh, kids were cheering. That's all that's up. There's bigger names. Some of these people are probably big, and we just don't know it. That's a pretty good. <laughs> that's a pretty good Hall of Fame to join. I would say so. You think Bill Belichick is better than? than I'm just looking. At, hey, people still so say Joe Montana is better than Tom Brady. Wait. People that, think that, Joe that, Montana is better than Tom. Brady. That's against your argument. No, I know. I'm saying, if I I can believe Bill. You Belichick. just said because he has more Super Bowls. Then you say, well, some people say Joe Montana. Well, Joe Montana doesn't have as many Super Bowls as Tom. I know, Brady. but. It, People don't always think it's the, the guys that have the most rings is the best. That's what I'm saying. Well, you just said, but the I but I believe Belichick. Belichick won how many Super Bowls? Six. I, yeah, I get it. Um, but Bill Walsh started the West Coast offense. I get it. Bill Walsh did more than that. Bill Walsh established how to run an organization like nobody else. How many Super Bowls did Bill Walsh win without Joe Montana? Well, <laughs> he did have Steve Young for playoff games. True. How many Super Bowls though? Once again, if Bill Walsh would have left, <laughs> Bill Walsh wouldn't have left. He left to go to Stanford again, right? No, he retired. He retired, but he went to and Stanford. Then went back to Stanford. Yeah. Can I remember? Bill Walsh took over. Bill Walsh left Stanford to take over the Niners. Bill Walsh was not a young man. Bill Walsh died at the age. Bill Walsh died in 2007. He took over. Let's see. Where did he take over? Why am I? Bill Walsh died at 75. His first year with the Niners was 79. So he would have been 48. Yeah, yeah, he was an old coach. So I mean, but you got to realize that Bill Walsh put together a system that all organizations followed. How to meet, how to travel, how to work out, how to do off-season. He established all of that. That, yes, the New York Giants copied. And where did Belichick learn his football? Bill Parcells. From? The New York football Giants. But they all copied. Bill Bill showed you the best way. How to handle free agency. How to handle the draft. They did a book. It's like this Bible. And look at all the coaching trees. Since all of Belichick's guys have failed, look at all the coaching trees that even to this day still all lead back to Bill Walsh. So when you say Bill Walsh is the greatest coach, you can do it beyond. It's beyond just, oh, I mean, Super Bowls. You look at, I mean, or he won the Super Bowls, but look at what he did to the game of He literally changed the game of football, not only on the field, but off of it. Has Bill Belichick done in that? I don't, I don't think so. I'm just saying. I mean, you look at what he created and what he built, I think it's second to none. To this day, like Mike Holmgren leaves, establishes it in Green Bay, wins a Super Bowl. You can just look at it and look how you look at any. I remember talking to John Gruden about it. John Gruden was like a lower level branch off the Walsh tree. But they all tie and it all led back to one guy, like throughout the league to where everybody who's left Bill Belichick has been really a failure. Yeah, what Weiss, Cornell. With the Raiders now. Not McDaniels. I mean, there's a lot of them. 
Uh, I know for Patricia, Joe Judge. Patricia and Judge are back with them, with the Patriots. So Bill O'Brien. Was so Bill O'Brien there? You could throw your yes. Super Bowl rings out, and no one's going to say But I'm just going to say, as the greatest coach, you can look like – you look at Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi changed the National Football League. Bill Belichick has not changed. And I'm not saying Bill, Bill, Bill Belichick isn't and can't be compared, but Bill Belichick hasn't changed the National Football League the way Vince Lombardi or Bill Walsh did. Can you say that the most successful guy under Belichick is Nick Saban? He's with them in Cleveland. Yeah, see, then then you can't you can't count the really the Super Bowl tree off that. I would I they, would say they made the playoffs. I would say Belichick's most successful assistant might be Bill O'Brien because he won how many he won. And by the way, Sabian was a failure in the NFL. Uh, yeah, the Dolphins weren't very good. No, he's doing. I think he's doing an okay job at uh, Alabama. Okay, Bill Belichick has produced the greatest. We'll keep game and say this. this is a joke, but he created a great <laughs> uh, college winning tradition. Yeah, and you know who's off his call? It Lane Kiffin. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have nothing but respect for Bill Belichick. I mean, you'd be an idiot not to. I just knowing what I know about Bill Walsh and what happened from what he did in San Francisco and how it how it just went out into the National Football League. I. I don't know how there's been anybody who's been more influential in changing the NFL than Bill Walsh from a coaching standpoint. So you want to stick to your East Coast roots and be an East Coast be 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 an East Coast. Hog. Well, if I was saying that, I'd say Chuck Knowles is the greatest coach of all time. Uh, no, you're already on. You, you said you said. I'll take at, Bill Cower any said, day. Look at the rings. Look at the ring. I mean, you got your East Coast haunt, John Smoltz doing Braves baseball. By the way, how's that? How are my Phillies doing? Six one. It's only the seventh inning. Oh, this game just started two hours ago. Oh, how did that? How, let, let's just – that game was a, a, a low – four to two was pretty low scoring, right? Yeah. Four hours and ten minutes. Extra innings, too. It was one extra inning. No ghost runner. Four hours and ten minutes for six runs, and two of them came in the last inning. You believe that? How can you say that's good for the game? Can you say that's good for the game? No. Four hours and ten minutes? One thing we need to get it, we have to find out. And by the way, the majority of the pitchers are guys that the average person has no no idea. You're telling me you don't know who Wandy Peralta is? Wandy Peralta? You're telling me you'd never heard of Clay Holmes? Clay Holmes. Is that a that, that, do you, kids are growing up with posters of Clay Holmes in their room <laughs> in their rooms. You're telling me three three guys out of there are former A's and Pirates that pitched for the Yankees. Oh my God. Oh my God. Who's got a poster of Jamison Tyon in their in their room? I mean the game is being decided by guys that nobody cares about. Can't disagree with you. But I, I it's just like and you even mentioned the guys that we should be selling five and dive. It's gonna happen tonight too. You think you think guys are gonna go? You think Blake Snell's gonna pitch deep in the game? You think Tony Gonsolin's gonna go more than three innings? All right. If I was to bet, okay. What's the over under? For what those guys? All right. I'm gonna, okay. Let's establish this. I know we gotta go, but let's establish this. Yeah, I got a Sharks game to get to. Blake Snell, last 18 starts, eight and five with a 2.53 ERA. How many innings? 92 and two thirds. That was 18 starts. That was rounded up to 96. 
Let me round up to 93. 93 five and a, five. It's 5.3, so about 5.3. Five 5.3. Okay. What did he do in his first playoff start? Uh, I know he walked six batters, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, he was out pretty early, wasn't he? Yeah. Snell 1-1 one one with a 2.53 ERA and 11 career starts against the Dodgers. Where do you want to set the over and under? I'll set the over and under at five for him and four for Gonsolin. Gonsolin is obviously it's just his what? His second start in 51 days. So you, you just want to get outs from him. Yeah, then you're going to bring in Anderson or May to pitch after him. Five. I'm going to set the over and under for Blake Snell at five, five. and a third. Under. God, how weak is that? Are you going to give me odds? Uh, I don't know how to do that. That's not my thing. I'm not Joe Fortenbaugh. Because you have to give me – if I take the over, you're going to – I mean, so if I bet a dollar, I got to get I got to get two back or three back. You can set the odds then. What do you want to bet? I'm going to bet he goes over tonight. I'm still saying under the five and five and a third. Yeah, under is a safe bet. <laughs> Blake Snell will be out by – if Blake Snell even gets through four – I'll be shocked. Give me Robert Suarez to pitch in the game, baby. It's all I want to see. 31-year-old rookie, Venezuela, Mexico, Japan. Tommy John. Is the star of your game, ladies and gentlemen. And you wonder why the NBA. Hey, the NBA? Who's the NBA throwing out tonight in a playoff game? Well. The Greek freak? Is he going to be out there tonight? Uh, if he was. It'd be or are you going to have a guy from the G League? <laughs> That's what baseball, like baseball stars well, not the stars, the off the the position players. It's the pitchers. Pitchers have turned into a bunch of DFA grab guys off scrap heaps, and that's who's now pitching in the postseason. Uh, pretty much, yeah. We had a jam packed show today, a nice show today. We want to thank Bill Moriarty from uh, A's Farm, Scott Miller from San Diego. We want to thank Ted Leitner from San Diego, Eno Saris from the Athletic, our national baseball columnist. And my old head baseball coach from San Jose State, now a member of the San Jose State Sports Hall of Fame, for all stopping by. We'll be back on Monday. Monday. Sarah Langs will be with us. That'll be awesome. And uh, you know him as Roxy. I call him Alan Bernstein. We'll be back. All right. And we're going to start getting ready to talk some 73As. And NLCS, ALCS. Could be over by Sunday. Best of five. Will they all be done by Sunday? Uh, there's games on. There's games on Monday. If there's best of five, I think it's the Brave, the Yankees, and Guardians. No, maybe because yeah. they. I mean, ideally, they don't want to be ending on football. No. football but for game one, game one of the NLCS, I think starts Tuesday. Well, they 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 probably had Sunday as a scheduled day off for all these, if the weather permitted, right? Uh, no, there's a full slate of games on Sunday. There it's, is Monday's an off day for the NL, and then they play on Tuesday night. Oh, you thought they would have been smarter than that? Yeah. Well, you got to go against Monday Night Football. It, and it's Chargers v. Russ Wilson and the Denver Broncos, Broncos country. Let's ride. By the way, these Thursday night. What do you mean? Last night was great. Carson Wentz has never lost. Carson Wentz 7-0 on Thursday Night Football. Amazon Prime games. They've been terrible. It's been, what was the final? 12-7? These, they've been terrible. Yeah, to watch. I have Amazon Prime. I don't watch. They've been terrible. Sunday nights, terrible. These primetime games have been terrible. Thursday night football has been an issue for the NFL for years. You know what has been good? College football. College football's 
great. I'll be in Fresno tomorrow night. The big game, Spartan. And by the way, did A-Rod call somebody something nation? Okay, stop it. Stop it. There's, there's one nation. It's Raider Nation. There is no other nation. You're all just – you're all pretending. How about don't go for two when you can tie the game there, Josh McDaniels? That's a great point. What the hell are you doing? San Jose State – over the biggest losers, should be an unaccredited <laughs> university. If you have a degree from Fresno State, it's a fraud. It's not worth the piece of paper it was printed on. Print that in the Fresno B. Uh-huh. I said it. V for victory, V for the Valley. You guys stink. We're going to come <laughs> in and roll your ass tomorrow night. Get ready. Spartan football. Wear it. Sharks tonight, too. Good luck, Sharks. Sharkies, 0-2. Tonight, Brent Burns returns with Carolina. Who cares? 0-2. They're 0-2. Can't win in Glass now. Where was the other game? No, they're both in Prague. They're both in Prague? Yeah. Glass now, was I right on that? Gla- uh, they played in They played in Germany in, uh, in Berlin. Both games are in Prague, and then they played – Why do I think Glass? Was that one of the preseason games? Uh, maybe. I know they played one of them in Berlin. Because they were all over Europe for preseason. Yeah. But I know the last one they played before the season was in Berlin. Well, hey. You're undefeated in the United States. You going to do something, Sharkies? It's a rebuilding year. We'll see. There is no such thing as rebuilding. You're the winner and you're losing. Yeah, well, it's going to be. That's just, that's just, could be a lot of losing. That's against. just you members of the media trying to spend something. You're either winning or you're losing. So, hey, it's a new what era. What are you doing? It's a new era. What are you doing? New era of Sharks hockey. New era hats or new era? New era. New, my career, uh, Dan, uh, David Quinn. Ask the rally monkey. He knows. By the way, Bruce Bochy to the Rangers, yes or no? No. No? No. Wash to the Rangers. Wash is not going back. Wash is going back. Or the White Sox. If Donnie Baseball doesn't Will you be worried if, if, if Bruce Bochy is now in our division? No. Who's pitching for the Rangers? Wow, shots fired. Who's pitching after John Gray? B. Weezy coming back to be a part of it. They're going to get Zito and. Can't take Posey. He's a part owner now of the Giants. Well, they got Jonah Heim. He hits more. He he has more power. There's a lot of good catchers in the division. Cal Raleigh, big. What's his name? Big Dumper. Well, I mean, he every once in a while runs into it. The rest he had 27 time, home runs last year. The rest of the time, he's hitting to a two. He two eleven. I was going to say two twenty seven. He hit two eleven. He hit two eleven. That's an easy out. He hit twenty seven bombs. Yeah, most ever in uh, Mariners history for a catcher. Two eleven. Yeah. Unproductive. Oh, Martin Maldonado hits like 150, but he's the MVP of the Astros. Schwarber, my Braves are up 6-1 the 7th. All right, thank you for watching A's Cast Live. We'll see everybody on Monday at 1 o'clock. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.